Florida couple managed to turn happy hour into a rather unhappy evening after they both got tossed behind bars for fighting over booze in the parking lot of a Dollar General store. Oh my in Florida. god! I mean, that's that's got to be on the uh, white trash family feud right. as like a ninety-nine percent of respondents. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a squabble that you would see if they had a Just Ducky tour, but for white <laughs> trash in Florida? And here, you'll see. I feel like a there's a native should, Florida couple. There should be a hotline for Dollar General store managers that's just like, if you have a woman giving birth in your parking lot, press one. <laughs> if you have a drunk couple fighting over Boone's Farm, press two. Randy Bellman and the DVE Morning Show. Oh, hi, Val. Hi. What's going on? Welcome back. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, refreshed. I do feel refreshed. I was just telling Jeff in the elevator that Jeff Conkle, Mr. Wednesday, is here. Uh, I was out in Telluride, Colorado for a bluegrass festival, which is uh, not quite a misnomer, but it's not all bluegrass because that would drive everybody insane, including people who <laughs> who play <laughs> bluegrass. You need to dilute the bluegrass. Yeah, it, it was diluted uh, sufficiently. There were some great musical acts, and uh, I, I had a great time living up in the mountains. And, and uh, you have that thought for a second, like, yes. I'm on vacation in a different place, and I feel great. None of the stress of of being back where I am at all. Maybe it's it's location. Maybe I need to move and have a different lifestyle than the one that I've uh, endured, is what you start to think. Uh, and then you remember, oh, yeah, uh, I would have to work a construction job out here. And uh, also, I would want to blow my brains out after about two weeks of having no access to anything. You know, there's like no cell service in a lot yeah. of places out there. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. I feel like you take these really short jaunt vacations, too. Like, most people take the, you know, seven to ten day vacation where the first part of it's fun and then the second half is just spent ruminating on the life that you have to return to. I yeah. feel like you do it the right way. Like, you do it so quick that you can't even go through that phase. You get a little uh, a little bit of uh, the bends, though, doing it that way. But it's not, it's, in the wintertime you can fly right in there, but in the uh, summer months they don't have commercial flights. But two of my roommates from college live out there now mm. so they had houses outside of telluride and they were the ones that told me like you should go to this you'll love it and uh, i'm glad i did it was awesome cool i mean music festivals though that's kind of like that's really the best vacation for me it has everything i want what was the weather like it was like 80 degrees during the day Her, no humidity no it was warm <laughs> but i wasn't like sweating and then yeah. you had a pack so that when the Sun went down, you got dressed into... You got your, your night sweater. Yeah, and now it's... Well, it's... Yeah. It, it would go down to like 50 degrees, which would feel Ooh. like 30. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So you had like winter gear on. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a lot of fun. There's no doubt about it. But I left right during the rains here. My neighborhood got blown up uh, last Wednesday when, night. Mm -hmm. And I had to catch a flight the next morning and had no electricity, and my phone was on 4%. Oh, God. I'm like, oh, man. Go sleep in the car. Exactly. That's what I thought. I'm like, I could always just go sleep in the car. Why don't I just go sleep at the airport? Um, <laughs> which, you know, thankfully the electricity came on, but my neighborhood is still destroyed from those rains. Yeah. It was pretty bad. I just drove around, like, the Jefferson Hills area, and there's, like, creeks that were, you know, normally they're trickles. That washed away bridges. I mean, you, oh, yeah. you, it's, it was insane. South Hills got pounded. I follow the Ohio Pile account. Mm -hmm. There's like, well, there's probably a couple of them, but one of them, I think I do Ohio Pile rentals. And they had footage of Cucumber Falls. I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with 
the landscape down in Ohio pile, but one of the attractions, Cucumber Falls, you like, you know, in the middle of the summer, a lot of times it's it can be a trickle if there hasn't been a lot of yeah. rain. I mean, it looked like Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. Just an insane amount of water has been dumped on western Pennsylvania here. And we're supposed to get more today. All right. What's the word? Here is the Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast brought to us by Dormont Appliance. It's 70 degrees now at DVE. I'm Val Porter. A couple bizarre airport-related stories this morning. Authorities investigating a false hijacking report that prompted police to swarm an airliner departing from JFK. The incident happened as the plane was positioning for a flight from New York to L.A. last night. The New York Post says the JetBlue pilot had intended to report a problem with the plane's radio equipment, but instead used a code for hijacking. (laughs) Just uh, got some numbers mixed up there, I just meant we were out of peanuts. A group of heavily armed Port Authority police officers stormed onto the plane and evacuated all the passengers. Oh my God, how terrifying would that be? Oh, by the way, I I witnessed a plane fight. Did you? Yeah. On my flight, there was a three-hour-long fight between these two guys. They would have, like, lulls for a half an hour at a time, and then it would kick back up again. And it was straight. I mean, I had a 7 a.m. flight or something stupid like that. Like, it was really early. Everyone just wanted to go back to sleep. And a guy leaned back too far, and the guy behind him was like, hey, man, you know, you're in my lap. And the guy who was leaning back shot the guy behind him a dirty look, and it just set the guy off. I mean, he was so triggered. He's like, hey, hey, you, just give me a dirty look. Just give me a dirty look, huh, pal? How about if we settle this right now? How about if I come over there and I kick your ass? It went right there. Wow. Zero then, to 60. And then the other guy was like one of these like plastic surgery face old dudes who oh. thought he was like, you know, I used to kick ass back in the day. And he's like, uh, you're a sissy. You wouldn't do anything. And I'm like, there we go. thing to say. So we're connecting in Denver. And the whole t- they're fighting the whole time. It, go- it keeps. And that's not a short At flight. one point, everybody fell back, fell asleep. And woke up to the two of them brawling. Get out of my way! Get out of my seat! Because the guy behind him supposedly turned his air jet on so that it was like hitting. (laughs) (laughs) So right on his top of. So the guy in front leaned back to to turn it off, and the other guy just wanted to start throwing punches immediately. So as luck would have it, I guess to a certain extent, the flight attendant was jacked. He was a huge dude, Mm -hmm. and he was like. Hey, fellas, is everything all right? And then they started pleading their case to this guy like he was some sort of air judge. And I want, oh like, God. everybody around me was just going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I was... Why didn't they separate them like kids into the classroom? I don't know. It was a full flight. You know, I, I guess they just... So to you know, ask somebody, hey, we got a problem back here. Can you switch seats? So these guys, they get to Denver. And they had been squabbling. And they're still squabbling. But now the guy in front somehow had, like... You know, when they uh, when you land and everyone jumps up and gets their bags, this guy had jumped out a little bit like, all right, I'm going to separate myself from the guy behind me. Yeah, I don't want to see this guy. It's like when you cut somebody off from traffic, you kind of try to speed up and lose them a little bit just so you don't make <laughs> eye contact again. But then he tries to start making friends with everybody. Like Recruiting. he's going to make up for what he did. And yes, he needs a, a posse around this him. This is the leaner. The leaner. So the leaner is, in my estimation, the real a-hole. The guy who like yeah. flipped out in all right he's he was provoked he was provoked he went way overboard but he was you know in a way 
He was being called out by this guy who was like, oh, you're a sissy. And he's like, now I'm a sissy? How about I kick your ass? How sissy is that? And I'm like, well, you know, he had two choices there. Be good for the rest of the plane or defend his honor. And this guy, he kept going to me. He goes, you should have had a better night's sleep last night, pal. You should have had a better night's sleep. He's like, I'm going to put you to sleep. I'm going to wear you out. This is all the classic. So, this is the stages of male uh, conflict. Oh, yeah. The male- it usually <laughs> gets locked right around calling each other like, you know, wusses or something like that. But right. it doesn't go much further than that. So we land in Denver. The leaner is now up front. And I have a lot of disdain for this guy. I mean, just the, the look on him, everything. I'm like, you know, he could have because he could have. Just said, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. man. I didn't Back mean to do far. that. It's early. Whatever. He, you know, but he shoots him a look and he kind of starts the whole thing. What was the age so, range of these two now, guys? Now, the triggered guy was probably uh, a little younger than me, probably 42, something like that. The leaner was like 70. Whoa. Really? But he was one of those back in my day. But he, you know, you could tell he was a rich guy. So he gets the to the, uh, uh, um, uh, the tarmac. The plane gets to the tarmac. He jumps off the plane. Now I'm behind the triggered guy, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm watching this. <laughs> Denver Airport is massive in the United Terminal. You know, I've got to go 50 gates. So, and I'm going to be on those people move- movers. Now, as it turns out, <laughs> the two of them do too. Oh. So now I'm like, this is awesome, and I'm following the two of them through the airport. Now the leaner is almost a full people mover ahead of the other guy. And the other guy's looking at his watch, and he keeps moving. And so I'm following the triggered guy. like, And I want to be like, I hope you kick his ass. But like, Randy, also, Randy's he's in the back just saying on the side of the mouth, coward. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm a coward. Uh, sissies take people movers. <laughs> <laughs> You're Woody Woodpeckering this whole thing. And I kept wondering how far away from his gate did the triggered guy go to try and beat up the other guy? Like, was he walking away from or toward where he needed to go? And it seemed like away from because he did a U-turn after one of the people movers. And I was like, oh, man. He really wanted to catch him. But that the, the older dude was just taken off through the airport. I really wanted to see him get punched in the face. I, and it, I, the last thing I want to see is fights on a plane or in public. But the, guy, the way the guy acted toward the end of the flight... It could have been diffused. Yeah. It could have even been like, all right, we have to both swallow our pride. We both yelled and embarrassed ourselves. That's the end. But no, three hours. So I wanted someone to get punched in the face. This just goes back to my theory that I think everybody who goes on an airplane should be mummified and locked into like a lead sarcophagus so that no one interacts with each other. Because honestly, I think that if there starts to be confrontations or like shouting on a plane, I think that it should be a constitutional amendment that the entire rest of the plane has free will to beat the ever-loving crap oh, yeah. out of whoever's causing the problem. Well, I always you said, don't screw around at you know, 80,000 feet or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I always said if we all had one free punch in the face per year, free from prosecution, everybody would act a lot differently. That one might not be enough. Just one free punch in the face. Because then you never know who has their punch and who doesn't. That is true. You, you know, be on your best behavior. There's going to be 10 people coming at me who can, who can throw haymakers without any... Uh, uh, ramifications at all, but, but it was an airline fight. I couldn't believe I was watching it happen, and it wouldn't stop. And it's just the tension that it brought 
Oh, to Every, everybody else. Yeah. Everybody is sucked into it. Ruins well, the Well, airplanes are like everybody. a powder keg to begin with just because it's so stressful getting there. So everyone's like at a nine already. Mm-hmm. And then that's all it takes is that little, you know, four inch lean back, which, by the way, I also think should be outlawed. It's not that comfortable and it's way more inconvenient for the person behind you than yeah. it is for the. That, Why the, don't the planes just disengage they, that? They, they need they to have get rid of it. The, yeah. The problem is those chairs are, are not uniform. A lot of them are broken. So when they so come. They really go. Back, so yeah. they either I've some of that. them go way far back, and those are the ones that piss you off. And uh, others, if you don't allow them to recline, they are stuck forward <laughs> yeah. too much. The guy, so you feel like you're in a ski jump, like, right? Yeah, the, exactly. The guy behind should have just leaned up over and kissed him on top of the head. <laughs> he, uh, I mean, he just kept going. Oh, you should have got some sleep. You should have got some sleep last night. I'm going to put you to sleep. As soon as we landed, I'm like, they're really going to fight. Yeah. It was, we were, that's a threat. We I mean, I'm going to put you to sleep. And no cops at the gate. What if he said, I'm going to put you to sleep and then just said, lullaby <laughs> and good night? That's what I would do. I would either like, you know, sing really annoying music the entire time, like love shack, baby, like the entire way there. Or as the uh, air air hostess or stewardess, whatever they're called now, yeah. if they came by, I'd just be like, do you have any garlic Cheez-Its that I could eat and just breathe on this guy for the entire time? I just, any farts that I was holding back, I'd just be letting rip the entire, the entire plane. But, right. But I really felt bad for the two people. People sitting next to the two of them. Oh, yeah. Because then they have to act like they're not, they're like, I'm not part of this. They're diverting their attention the entire way. The whole row. But everybody. Like across the aisle. Everybody's going, uh, like, you know, each of them was pleading their case to the person sitting next to them. They're like, can you believe this? Yeah. Can you believe this guy? Yeah, they're trying to get a jury going. (laughs) They're just like, "I'm, I'm just doing some work. Can I just be out of this, please? It is funny, though, how in crowd events where there is a confrontation that the the adjacent crowd does become a jury of, of sorts. Like, I've seen this at football games where, like, this young, drunk guy was, like, standing up the entire time. And these older people were, couldn't see. So another older guy who was, like, in, you know, the Carhartt bib overalls yeah. looked like he was a pipe fitter for 20 years, kept telling the young guy to sit down. The young guy flipped him off, threw a beer on him. Oh! Then the old guy punched the young guy in the face. So when security came to break it up, the rest of the crowd was just like, get the young guy out of here. Yeah. And the young guy's yeah. like, the guy punched me in the face. They're like, meh. I guess that's what happens. <laughs> you yeah. know, when you act like that, sorry. Yeah, that, 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 I have no problem with that. When There's everybody... always an instigator. Yeah. Always. In this case, though, it was one of those, like, you know, it was... It was a man thing, though. It was like t- such a dude thing, and that's why I think everybody was groaning, like, "Oh, guys, do we really need to have a pissing contest right now?" And it was like, "Who's going to back down?" And neither of them would, and they just kept ratcheting it up. And the guy, <laughs> the leaner, just kept calling them names. So you won't do nothing. You're a sissy. I'm like, dude, he's going to absolutely destroy <laughs> you when we land. But and then, then how you know how hard it was to not like weigh in and suck. tell them both to just you know shut up. But yeah, so you want to chime in. You're like, and I'll that, be the hero for the plane. Yeah, but then you're going to be involved now. You're now the third party. Exactly. You just made the list. You might be the one to get tased first. There's one out of three <laughs> options, and you might now be you're in the mix to get tased. I just turned up the music, Val. I just turned up the music. See, that would just aggravate me the entire. It, my blood was boiling. Oh, because. I just felt like that's how people act everywhere now. Yeah. And there's no sense of There's other people here. Common courtesy. Yeah, we're all stuck in a flying tube. 
Can yeah. you please have a little bit of courtesy for the people well, around that's, you? The, the thing that I've noticed where it seems like this came into play is that no one can be wrong anymore. Like, it's an affront to your ego if you're wrong. So if you recline the seat back and it goes back, you know, 12 inches instead of the four you're supposed to get, and some guy says, hey, what the heck's going on? Instead of saying, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, this is wrong of me, right. and my behavior was it's accidental, but I apologize. It's, me. I cannot be wrong. Like, what? I don't care about your space whatsoever. Exactly. Nobody cares about anybody else. It's all me, <laughs> me, me. I don't care about you. Yeah. I, I just want to get mine. I go the other way now. I go, I'm 180 degrees non-conflict when it comes to this stuff now because I know what can happen. Now, I don't trust anybody either. Right. I think everybody is ready for their like their network moment, and I'm just not yeah. willing to be that person to for them to unload on anymore. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> I, I just, Dude, just watched some video where there was a similar plane confrontation. Some guy in a Donald Trump hat sat next down to like a very clearly liberal woman, and she starts going, like tilting off on him being like you don't believe in climate change and he's like what are you talking about lady like I'm just trying to sit here and eat my potato yeah. chips so she's going off going off and finally the, the flight attendant comes over and he's like uh, man we're gonna have to ask you to get off the flight and she's like no you're not getting me off this flight and he had a great line he just goes you can either be mildly inconvenienced by this or majorly inconvenienced by this and I thought that's such a good choice like yeah. you can either go rebook your flight or we're going to drag you off this flight you're you're going to have to talk go to, to Brian Williams on NBC News and then get you know you're you're going to be a meme pretty soon if you you're don't get off the flight you're going to need to get a lawyer yeah you're going to need to yeah i mean as it as it pertains to politics now everything is such a powder keg that i would not even indulge anything like that in the past i have <laughs> not like confront what i've done is i've always steered into whatever skit i was in mm -hmm. and like uh, let me see how hardcore this guy really is yeah, next to me. Yeah, because uh, you know, like, hey, we're uh, we're friendlies, right? L you know, I mean, brown people shouldn't be allowed to vote. Am I right? <laughs> and yeah, women, you're, you're what's with trying, that? You're just trying to probe a little bit, see see how far the the well yeah, goes. I would never in a million years do that. Now, Th there was a simpler time three years ago when you could do things like that, but now uh, you just have to accept that at any point in time, you know. The everybody around you, forty percent of the people are, think one way, and sixty percent of the people think another way. So, I just avoid all conversations and with people in general. But see, like that's unless I, it's about puppies, because everybody loves puppies. Everyone does love puppies. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> but I think like that's why, like uh, on a plane, you would literally have to, as a pa fellow passenger, being like blowing your armpit hair in front of my mouth for me to be like, stewardess, can I please like change? I. <laughs> I, I mean, you really have to abuse me for me to make a stink about about anything like that. I uh, I try to be the best person to sit next to, just because I've traveled enough to know that it, it's the different. I will totally swallow my pride. I will like not, you know, I will have a case. I will be in the right, and I will totally swallow it all to just be like, nope, for the greater good of this trip and me getting along with this person. The only time I'm not going to bring it up. Felt bad about my behavior on a flight was I, of course, took my flying pills and <laughs> passed <laughs> out. Pills. And the, there was a, a girl who was uh, probably in her 20s traveling, I think, with her grandma. And I was sitting between them somehow, and they didn't care about switching seats. They were like, no, it's no big deal. We don't care. So I'm passed out completely, and the poor girl had to climb over me to get out to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I woke up when she was coming back. I'm like, you should just woke me up. I'm 
Uh, oh, I totally got up and moved. Oh, uh, no, yeah, but that's that is so kind and mild. That's that's a, an example of people being nice to each other on a plane. She could have been all pissy with you, like, "Hey, lady, get up." Meanwhile, you had offered them easy in and out yeah. access. You should have said, like, I'm going to be a human blanket. Like, you know, you should have given a little warning. I'm heavily medicated over here. My worst behavior, in retrospect, it really wasn't that bad, but if I was sitting near me, I would have wanted to kill me, is that on a transatlantic flight from London Heathrow to Philadelphia, I, you know, this uh, that's like a eight-hour flight or something like that. I, for some reason, hit it off so good with my seatmate. Like, we talked... For probably the eight hours, we were watching the Chronicles of Narnia together and making commentary. (laughs) So whoever was sitting in front of me was probably just like, I'm going to blow my brains out if these two chummy sons of bitches don't don't (laughs) pipe down. I made friends with a couple coming back from Dallas one time. We were in the last row of the plane, and we were clearly... That's a brotherhood right there. We were all hungover, and it was this like super hip couple. The girl was way hot, and she was like, what are you reading? Like, she just pointed to whatever I was reading. I was like, oh, it's whatever magazine. And she's like, you know what? I heard about this article in there. Wait, wait, let me see something. And then she just, like, took my thing, like, my magazine mm-hmm. out of my hand. And I'm like, I'm okay with it because she's just so cool. And then her boyfriend's like, hey, man, how are you? I'm Mark. I'm like, hey, what's up? Uh, nice to meet you. And they're like, what do you do? You know, and I told them. And uh, they're like, oh, well, we work in New York. He's I work at MTV. And the other guy worked somewhere else. I'm like, no kidding. Or the other girl works somewhere else. I was like, you work at MTV. That's pretty cool. So then were you like, I'm in the biz, too? But no, because I was like, I'm on radio, whatever. And they oh, were the so cool. Yeah. And it was before the internet like blew up and you could get anything anywhere and he had all these tenacious d episodes the original ones uh, yeah and he was like he's like oh dude i have the original copies of those he's like i can send them to you and i'm like we're best friends let's get beers <laughs> so then we got beers and we started to get drunk together the three of us got drunk on this flight back from dallas and we were besties and we yeah. kept in touch loud and laughing and, and we were friends for a while and then they broke up and I'm like ca- talking to the two of them. I'm like, wait a minute, which one do I hold on to here? Uh, see, at that point, I think you demolish all relationships. That 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 that's a great bookend to that that period of of relationship. But I was going to New York to visit my sister all the time, so I would like you know give them a shout and be like, yo, I'm going to be in Brooklyn this weekend, blah blah blah. And they were totally cool. And then they broke up, and then I was like, what do I do here? You got to pick. Do I? The girl was gorgeous and super cool. But the guy was awesome. He was such a good dude. And gorgeous. And I'm like, maybe <laughs> maybe I can... <laughs> and he was gorgeous. And maybe I can bring them back together. And dude, I, there was no decision to be made. It was like, as soon as the two of them broke up, they didn't want to be friends with me anymore. Uh, <laughs> bad memories. We were only a threesome. I didn't know. You, you might have been at the crux of that relationship breaking up. I, there was Neither one of them were interested. Did they you were text Randy or did you text Randy? <laughs> you should have told me about that, babe. I wish I would have known that this wasn't going to last. I wouldn't have vested so much in it. All right, real quick, this other bizarre airport story. Uh, In Atlanta, a guy in his underwear climbed a fence at the airport and tried to force his way onto a plane. Shoot him. 19-year-old man was arrested at Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, charged with criminal trespassing, public indecency, and obstructing police. Passengers on the Delta flight actually took videos of all this going on. The guy, it looked like he was wearing boxer briefs and nothing else. Running across the tarmac at the plane... He managed to somehow jump on the wing of the plane and was pounding on the windows. Wow! I don't. I mean, how do you? This I didn't sounds know like, that like it was a modern reachable. day Don Quixote or something like that, like tilting against you know 
prop planes or something. Uh, <laughs> Is that a windmill? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. That's a propeller. Passengers on the plane held an emergency door shut to keep the guy from getting in. Holy cow. That is some strong PCP. (laughs) I'll say. Uh, Showers and thunderstorms today. Some of those uh, thunderstorms later this afternoon could be severe. Temperatures in the upper 70s. It's 70 now at DVE. Jeff Conkle is with us here here this morning, Mr. Wednesday. And Tim Benz filling in for Mike Pursuit with your sports when we come back. DVE Sports. All right, Mike Pursuit on vacation. Our friend Tim Benz here filling in with the sports report on DVE. Benzie, what's the word? Well, the word is money for this guy. And it's turned back. Here's Gensel, beating one across, star! It's Brian Rust, and it's one nothing. Mr. Game 7, now Mr. 14 million. 3.5 per season for Rust. It's a four-year deal. After he got a qualifying offer, the Pens worked out a contract with him, so that puts him right between Connor Sheary and Carl Haglin on the payroll. All three have been subject to some level of trade rumor or another this offseason. Now we'll see if those other two... Uh, get traded somewhere along the way uh, as free agency kicks in on July the 1st. Riley Sheehan, Jamie Alexiak, those guys might get new deals as unrestricted free agency hits as well soon here. Here's the NHL Network's Kevin Weeks responding to news of the Rust deal. Well, it shows that they're recognizing one of their guys that helped them win two Stanley Cups is what it shows. A homegrown player started in Wilkes-Barre, came up. Mike Sullivan has a lot of faith and trust in him. Uh, at times played alongside Sidney Crosby and played very well in doing that, I might add. And just a guy that they've been able to play up and down the lineup, but that's able to be very effective, especially in the postseason. You look at Yeah, so it's versatility as much as anything, clutch performance that earned him the contract that it did. And right. I think they just see him as being more valuable at the back end of that deal than maybe what they gave a little bit less to for Connor Sheary, where if he doesn't score, he's not giving you much else. I feel like if he had a more colorful personality these kind of contracts would be uh, it would be less of a like hey good for you for Brian Russ because he's seemingly so uh, steady Eddie yeah he's not like Max Talbot he's not you know someone that everyone's like oh I love what's that he's not flashy yeah that that in a way it's like wow that's a huge contract for him but to your point I mean clutch scoring and uh, the versatility. This is a guy you, you'd hate to lose. Yeah, like Carl Hagelin making four, Sherry making three, Rust making three and a half. Each one of them, that's not too much, but collectively, though... Starting to build up. It's almost $11 million for not a ton of goals. Like, you look... Sherry, for instance, has 16 more goals lifetime than Brian Rust does for being in the league just about the same amount of time. And they're trying like hell to move him at half a million dollars less. Right. So he's got to contribute in other ways, and he does, and part of his ability to contribute is play either side and play anywhere on the four lines. So that's why they're making the effort to keep him. Does this indicate to you that uh, one of the bigger salaries might end up getting moved once, you know, when you just uh, contextualize it like that, like, hey, you know, you add up all of these other parts, this is going to equal one big contract that they're not going to be able to sustain. Sustain like, for forward. instance, they can maybe even trade the other two that I just mentioned. So that's mm-hmm. $7 million off the books. And then go after one guy who's got even more speed than the other two of them, and that's Michael Grabner, and put him on the mm. left side. You know, you could do that and then free up uh, a wing spot for Zach Aston Reese full-time or makes it easier to maneuver Sprong in there and bounce somebody else to the other side. Those are all possibilities. Also makes it an offer for Broussard, if he wants to take it, to jump out to the wing instead of play center. All and the time. Was any clarification added as to Broussard what, if there was an injury or something? No, he, he admitted that he had an injury, and no one has put a finger on exactly what that injury was. There's been some speculation that it was 
either a groin or a hamstring or something to that effect. But And I would buy that based on the way he was performing. So you think the fill the thrill talk is coming gone? I th- I don't think Mike Sullivan comes out as adamantly in defense of their relationship being workable if they have any plans whatsoever of trading him now. Yeah. You don't take you do not die on that hill in the manner that he did without knowing that he's not going to be traded before opening day. So his original statements of, you know, he wasn't hurt, I can tell you that. There's nothing serious, I can tell you that was the one that sort of People said there's a disconnect there between him and what the general manager was saying because Jim Rutherford was making it sound like Phil was more hurt than what Sullivan did. And that's part of the reason why there's so much speculation that those two, meaning Sullivan and Kessel, were not on the same page together. And forgive me if I've asked you this before, but in your estimation, does the coach have to at some point realize, well, a shark is a shark. I can't turn him into something else. I got to play him on a line with Gino to get anything out of him. Uh, the shark might need to be a shark and be a lone rover like Jaws. You know, <laughs> the rogue shark and not have to be like everybody else. You're just not going to get him to block shots. You're not going to get him to play defense. But then you got to play him with some guys who do play a little bit of defense. And, you know, that's kind of where the rub comes in because he also wants to play with offensive players. I think he's going to have to bite the bullet and play him with Malkin and try to make everybody happy there. Uh, but the, the construct of a lot of teams are top-heavy, two top-heavy sure, lines. Why, sure. why not go that way? Because they buy the need to have balance through three to split up the other team's defense pairings in the playoffs. It's not as important in the regular season, but they view that as a big-time importance in the postseason. But if you're that good on your top two, how many teams are really that good on their bottom two defense pair anyway? Like, you know, Broussard and some two other decent wingers should be able to get the job done if Phil's on the number two line with Geno Malkin, I think. At some point, isn't it like the Steelers are are uh, a 3-4 just because, and the Steelers are a ground game just because. That's, uh, you know, that's, all right. that's, that's all right. This is what we do. At some point, uh, do you have to adapt? I, I think so, yes. But, you know, if you put that much money, if you put that much investment in Broussard being your third-line center, you want to give him guys to play with right. or else it looks bad, kind of like it did last season. So. I'm just li- I- I'm looking for a little bit of, like, maybe Mike Sullivan could have played that differently. And I'm not going to oh, argue with the guy who won back-to-back cups. Hey, when Mark comes in at 945, he'll say that. I mean, he's been as hard on Phil as anybody, but he'll say exactly that, and I, I think he's accurate in doing so. They both have to give a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, Phil can't pout if he's being told what to do by a coach, but the coach might have made a better decision by eventually just marrying him on a line with Evgeny Malkin. Or or Phil could have listened if he was playing hurt and taking a couple games off at the end of the regular season, too, for sure. that matter. But well, isn't it weird? Don't you feel like it's been like a decade and we haven't had any real solidified lines? Like, like it's always, no. always in flux. Like, you don't have the, you know, Backstrom-Ovechkin pairing that lasts yeah. for years and years and years. That's or tough, though, especially in this day and age, to maintain for that long yeah that's true. i mean if benino would have stuck around you might have had another year of the hbk that's true yeah but but to your point nothing that really stuck around and you know garnered their own theme songs and uh t-shirts like when i think they sell enough t-shirts they're fine <laughs> well that's why they put sid in the kids so it can be interchangeable it's like uh the dave matthews band if they get a uh you know another uh, bass player is anybody gonna know like when I think of an, uh, like Sidney Crosby's line, the first one that comes to my head is Pascal Dupuis and Chris Kunitz. Like that's the only one that there was any sort of longevity with. And how many years ago was that? That was probably you know three four years ago. If Marion Hosa had done what he was supposed to do and just signed the contract yeah. like he uh. should have, that one would have stuck around for a while. Oh, that would have been something. The hatred for Hosa. It, it look it inspired a cup. 
inspired a couple rings for Hosa too, eventually when he got to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It took a while. but uh, Jason Mackey, the PG, saying Jack Johnson very much in play for the Pens to acquire on the blue line. Tom Kunak apparently rejected a two-year deal from the Pens before going free agency. Uh, the development camp starts today in Cranberry. The Hockey Hall of Fame announced its inductees, Martin Brodeur, Martin St. Louis, Willie O'Ree, and Gary Bettman all getting in. No love yet for Gonchar Zuboff or Jim Rutherford. I think it's a matter of time for Rutherford. I don't know why you can't just put a GM in How can whenever. you put the sitting commissioner in? Did Tagliabue go into the NFL Hall of Fame when he was a sitting commissioner? I don't know, but... I think he did. I hate that Willie O'Ree's induction got got mentioned with Gary <laughs> Bettman. <laughs> Like, he, Willie O'Ree is going to go up and get inducted, and they're still going to be booing Bettman coming off the stage. Yeah. Like, does Bettman even get booed? Like, he got booed in Vegas. Remember that? Yeah. When he came yeah, up yeah. to present the cup? You're he supposed just gave to. you a franchise. You're booing him there. That's, in awesome. that that's because they, they're just trying to fit in. That's yeah, this, all. this that, is what you do. Yes, that's right. right. That's, that's a behavior that is befitting of an NHL franchise. All right, uh, baseball here for you quickly. The Pirates lost last night in 10. Final score, 4-3. to three. As it turns out that Val and I were talking about this yesterday, the reshuffled lineup, which worked so great on Monday, all of a sudden it was two for 18 at the top of the order. They benched Josh Bell after he homered the night before, so let's cool that guy yeah, off. Yeah, we right don't away. want that. There's also a little dust-up, a little skirmish in the yeah. ninth inning. Uh, Jay Hay slid into second base. Josh Harrison, Astroball Cabrera didn't seem to care as the double play was being broken up, but the pitcher, Juris Familia, got mad at Jay Hay, and the bench is cleared. No punches thrown. Here was Harrison's explanation. Got a good read, and initially off the bat, I was thinking, you know, get there to beat a base hit. And as he fielded it, my initial reaction after that was just to break up a double play, you know, with a clean slide. And if you go look at the footage, I don't even think I touched him. Yeah, there's a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, it's, it's like the two ridiculous. guys in the plane for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you should have uh, got a good night's sleep last night. <laughs> I'll put you to sleep. I'm going to put you to sleep. We'll wrap up with this. Can't avoid this story. It's relief pitcher Archie Bradley of the Arizona Diamondbacks <laughs> who pooped his pants in the bullpen <laughs> as he was about to come out onto the field. Come on. Uh, this happened apparently. He he spoke about it yesterday on a podcast for Yahoo Sports. Apparently it happened earlier this season. We're good here, right, Joe? Here's Bradley with the explanation as to what happened. So I run in our bathroom real quick. I'm ready to go, and I'm trying to pee. And I actually <laughs> my pants. Oh. Like right before I'm about to go in the game, I pooped my pants. Okay. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I know I'm a pitcher away from going in the game, so I'm scrambling to clean myself up. <laughs> I get it cleaned up the best I can, butt my pants up, and our bullpen coach, Mike Ferris, said, Hey, you're in the game. So I'm jogging into the game to pitch with poop in my pants. Come on, dude. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's Why? Former, that is former pirate Mike Fetters being name dropped there and he, you know, he thought he was in some bullpens that stunk in Pittsburgh. How about that one? <laughs> Why would you admit that? I have no idea. No, the reason Wait came, till you retire to tell it on the banquet circuit. I can tell you why it came up. You know that pitcher that puked for the Milwaukee yeah. Brewers earlier this year? That was that guy's roommate. Oh, so the question was asked of like him, have, has anything like this ever happened to you? Goes, and he says, you know what, funny enough, that's my roommate, and funny enough, this happened to me a couple weeks ago. Oh, my ago. God. All right, we have to take a break, and, uh, and not because that, that's imminent, uh, but Val has news top of the hour. We'll be right back more with Jeff Conkle. It is the DVE Morning Show. Randy Bauman, Bill Crawford off today, Val Porter hanging with us. It's Wednesday, so Mr. Wednesday, Jeff Conkle here in anticipation of this weekend's DVE Comedy Festival Friday night. 
We're going to be at the Byam Theater with the uh, the show with Burt Kreischer, Rory Scovel, Brad Williams, Sertian, and Bill Crawford. And uh, Jeff, you'll be a part of the second show at the Arcade Comedy Theater. Sold out. Sold Both out. of those shows are sold out. We still have tickets for Saturday's podcast with Doug Benson. Doug loves movies at the Rex and uh, also the Burt cast. When, uh, Burt's coming in this weekend, or this Friday morning. Do we so, know if he's the only one? I don't know. I think Brad's going to be here and Sarah as well. Um, that will sell all the Burt tickets. So if you were thinking about going, yeah. the second Burt comes uh, on the show Friday, those tickets are going to be gone. So don't wait till then. Get them now at dve.com. Uh, here's some good news for those of you who've decided that chasing a dream is stupid. Uh, <laughs> you are the smart ones. Hey. Yeah. A new study out of Stanford found that obsessively following your passion isn't the recipe for success. In most cases, it's actually the opposite. And here's why. People who only focus on their passion narrow their interests too much, which keeps them from having creative ideas or coming up with new innovations. No relatability. And they also don't learn about new subjects or try new things. Yeah. That they might find they like more. Right. When someone's following their passion and they stumble or run into difficulty, it makes them extra depressed because it seems like, well, this is the only goal. And if I don't get there, every obstacle making it less likely means there is no other alternative. So you just become completely depressed. This is why, remember how Andy Kaufman used to like still have his like table bussing job yes. and while he was performing, but everyone thought it was a, like a goof. I actually think that was like a real thing for him. Like he needed one toe in the human existence world because if he was fully off in Andy Kaufman land, it, yeah. would, it would go off the rails in like two seconds. So those, ob- uh, uh, those obstacles I was talking about, when you stumble or run into difficulty that make those people who are singularly focused want to quit, uh, when they do quit, they've got no direction. They don't know where else to go because there was only one thing. So what should you do instead of laser focusing on one thing? Researchers say develop your passion, not follow it completely. That means you should work at it and stick with it, but don't focus so hard that it winds up backfiring. Make it a hobby instead of a... A pursuit this is of your total career? validation of my comedy career. I, I was just telling you, this is absolutely. I was perfect. just going to ask I'm you that. I'm so pleased to hear this. This is what I've been thinking all along. <laughs> yeah, but so in a lot of ways, it really probably is. The more it's, let's say you would have gone to New York, Chicago, whatever, and done uh, done comedy. I have no doubt. Like you are one of the you know five or six people in Pittsburgh, I think, who who can make the easy transition to the next level. Now you're in the huge pool of very talented people. Starting from On scratch. the national level. Yeah. And you have to, yeah, you're good enough to get that lottery ticket. So, would you have the same opportunities you had by developing your comedy here in Pittsburgh? Like, would you be able to do a radio show once a week for, uh, you know, an hour? Who knows? Maybe, yeah, Not maybe. bloody likely. Maybe, <laughs> no, but that's just it. Maybe you shoot right to the top. You know, yeah, you maybe. certainly have the talent, but there's so much luck involved. But th- this is the other thing, too, is that I feel like I enjoy doing comedy as a hobby, but if it was my main source of income, 
and especially since I have a family now, right. that would jade me unbelievably because work. I'd have to take the cruise ship gigs or go to you know the right. corporate gigs that you have to be do clean comedy that you don't want to do in the in the first place, and mm-hmm. that would completely ruin it for me. So this was I thought I backed into the career I'm in now. Like I never had any designs on doing this at all. <laughs> And a lot of the people listening right now <laughs> probably wish I yeah. didn't. But I thought I was going to be a musician. I'm like, and I became singularly focused, and I had a backup plan. Like, all right, if this doesn't work in the next three years, I told myself, like, I'm going to go. There's always the deadline. And I'm going to go yeah. study uh, in in Chicago, and I'm going to study improv, and you know, I, I I'll work in the theater, and that, like that's my backup backup plan. But. I really wanted to be a musician, and there's no way, you know how hard it is to become one of the few people who can make a living doing that? Even if you're incredible. Yes. There's, a, there's, there, there's incredible musicians Crap out there shoot. that can't, that can't uh, write a hit song. It's like athletes. Right? Yeah. You know, guys who think they're going to be NFL players. It would, Oh, there's no doubt about that. The, the one thing I would say to parents is I when they make so much of an emphasis uh, for their children on sports success... While their children at the same time are expressing an interest in the arts, I think you're doing a disservice to place more importance on the sports because it is a limited life. You can, you know, after you're 21, it's done. I'm not going to blow my rotator cuff out now and have to cancel at the improv, right? Know, because like <laughs> I can still, I can still make it, you know. Right. I mean, I'm not saying sports are bad. I mean, sports no. were a huge part of my life. They, you know, they still are. I grew up playing every sport. That was my dad was never like, oh, you like uh, playing the piano oh just do that you know we did everything but after i was a junior in college it became quite clear well this is pretty much the end of the road for me athletically (laughs) and i got a lot of time left that's what i think parents like that's just their job like i remember at some point like i think i was thinking like you know i think i want to move out and like you know go spread my wings somewhere else and i think my sister at one point was like i'm gonna move to portland or something like that and my mom just put the kibosh to it and she goes Kids, a parent's job is to crush your dreams and help you come up with a better one because that is a not good dream. And so dream a different dream, will you? Dream a different dream for me. So there you go, folks. Develop your passion. Don't follow it completely. Abandon your dreams. Work at it. (laughs) Stick with it. But don't focus so hard on it that it becomes the end all and be all of your existence. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like the luckiest. You you pursued it from day one. Honor. Yep. You pursued it from day one. When we? How old were you when you started working in radio? Uh seventeen. I was right wow. out of high school. I mean, how awesome is that story? Radio prodigy. She that was a Doogie Howser of radio. I did one <laughs> live hour a week. At seventeen? Yeah, it was like Casey Kasem was three hours of my shift, and I had an hour. You were doing Live. radio when you were 17 years yeah. old. I mean, I was just about to turn 18. You're a prodigy. I, you, no, this, I grew up in France. If I lived in Pittsburgh, that wouldn't have happened. Well, that that's another uh, that's story, That's an interesting too. point, yeah. You know, I grew up in a small town, and it's like, can you read? Can you speak? You're hired. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that was, you know, be, being from Erie helped me. I, I got right on the radio mm-hmm. up there, and I would have never 
fallen into a radio spot in a major market. No way. Yeah. I was horrible. I mean, I'm not much better now, but I mean, I was really, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But that's so funny, Val, because like I always think for some, and obviously, Randy, you have this too, but you have this, and it, maybe it's just because you've been doing it for so long, but there's this level of comfort that exudes like a command presence. Like when I listen to you when 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 you're by yourself, like doing a morning thing or something mm-hmm. like that. You feel like I just feel like you have such command of everything that's going on, and it's probably just because you've had that much experience, like the yeah, entire it's time. Thirty, you've, almost thirty-three. Yeah. Years. Second nature, and despite me being the obstacle to her passion, <laughs> she has been able to develop quite Man, a successful I just, career. I really got lucky. I mean, oh, I think that all the time. You really got lucky. Uh, <laughs> when we, <laughs> no, I, I totally, I fell in crap and came out smelling like a rose. Yeah, like when I was in college, so I worked two years in, in radio and then I went to college and continued to work part-time and my advisor, I was doing my internship, my advisor, I wanted to go to Youngstown. My advisor big said, city. no, you're going to DVE. So I did my internship here and <sighs> I... Really? I mean, it Isn't just, it funny I, how like those things like, work out. Seemingly minuscule decisions completely change, change the, the trajectory yes. of where you're going. Listen to your guidance Just, counselors, kid. <laughs> Here's what I would say. I would I would uh, break that study down to something much less uh, complicated, and I would say keep a lot of irons in the fire and wait till one of them gets hot. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I did. Um, but mostly I got super, super lucky because someone was like, hey, have you ever considered doing this? Yeah, but yeah. think about it. You still you get to to sit in on people and and play at your rambles oh, and yeah. stuff like that, which I would imagine is fulfilling. Now, if you were having to road gig it and come up with songs and do you know a uh, rock tour, you know yeah. tours or something like travel. That, do you know that? Do you think you would Life even be remotely as happy? Like I, no. yeah, I don't think I would. No, I have completely like inundated myself with rock bios and tour tales and learn so much about that lifestyle that I know it would be a bad one. My health would be bad. I wouldn't be good at it. I need to have a little more consistency. I, so there, I think there was some divine intervention there. For that's me. what I always say about like the, the the road life of a comedian. Like I feel like I need like society around me to confine me in yeah. because if I'm just left alone in my hotel room, like there's going to be a lot of things filling that void that are counterproductive to myself and society. Yeah. I'm sure. And then that informs Idle your hands. comedy. Yeah. And then all but of then s- all you're just you're just become Greg Giraldo. That's basically. what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, that's... you're too smart to be sitting by yourself that long. Yeah. All right, a quick break. We're going to come back, and Val will have news for you here on DVE. You know, uh, we, we were talking about the stamps that the U.S. Postal Service is going to be introducing: scratch and sniff stamps. The Post Gazette folks were, were bandying about: should there be local ones? Should it be specific to certain towns? I think if we're going to do a localized Pittsburgh stamp, scratch and sniff, it should, it should smell like Rick Seaback. <laughs> Sweets. Just like a donut shop. <laughs> Just a delightful a picture. A jolly bakery. Right. A delightful picture of Rick. Uh, and you scratch it, you smell oh. it, and it smells like ready-made donuts. Danish. See, see, if there was a Pittsburgh stamp, the only thing I could think of is... Uh, Wet jean shorts. <laughs> Randy Bellman and the DVE Morning Show. 
It's nine minutes after seven at DVE. Here is the Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast brought to us by Bridgeville Appliance. It's 70 degrees at DVE. The news is brought to us by Xfinity from Comcast. I'm Val Porter. Police say a teenager who was with Antoine Rose when he was shot and killed last week is in custody for an unrelated charge. Allegheny County Police did not release the identity of the teenager. They say will be charged uh, possibly in connection to the drive-by shooting in North Braddock that injured a 22-year-old man. East Pittsburgh Police pulled over a vehicle matching the description of the one used in the drive-by shooting June 19th. As police were handcuffing the driver, two people ran from the car with East Pittsburgh officer Michael Rosfeld shooting and killing 17-year-old Antoine Rose as he tried to flee. And local police say they are preparing to see protests related to the shooting death of Antoine Rose throughout this summer. Officials say they're studying the fallout from incidents in Ferguson, Missouri and other cities that had deadly police encounters. Pittsburgh Mayor Bill Peduto says officers will only use force and put on riot gear as a last resort should a protest turn violent. Investigators say the Westmoreland County Food Bank lost thousands of pounds of donated food after one of their trucks caught fire in North Huntington on Tuesday. Officials say the driver had been doing grocery store donation pickups at the time of the fire. That truck has been destroyed. The food, a total loss because it reached unsafe temperatures. Fortunately, the driver was not injured. So if you think of it, maybe uh, donate a little bit to the Westmoreland County Food Bank uh, to make up for all that lost food. Do we have a website? Joe, can we find the website for the Westmoreland County Food Bank? Put a link on our website. Thanks. It's a morning show page at dve.com. It is wedding season. There is a new trend you should know about. A new survey by the Not Wedding website found that asking for cash on wedding registries a lot more popular than it used to be. About 50% more common last year than it was in 2016. And one of the top things couples use that cash now for is to pay for the wedding itself. Uh, yeah, I mean. So why don't we just, just make it like BYOB <laughs> cash bar? Bring a covered dish, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the Fandango easy. wedding, right? Why not? Yeah, everybody chip in a little bit. Yeah, uh, the honeymoon still the most common thing couples ask people to fund. I think you can actually do like a honeymoon registry, just like. This is where we're registered for our honeymoon, if you want to contribute. Hey, I got you guys some KY. Have a good time. <laughs> now enjoy yourself. It's on me. Now slide all over the place. Have a blast. Uh, after that, it's down payment on the house. Uh, wedding itself was number three last year. Big ticket items like appliances were number four, and helping pay off debt was number five. I always give money. Yeah, pretty much. I don't even go on the registry. I figure they picked a bunch of stuff. Maybe they need some of it, but at some point it's probably, uh, oh, it'd be nice to have a uh, milk frother and they don't need that. uh, And they probably are always glad to have the cash. Last time I bought a gift for a wedding, somebody wanted TV trays. And I had I went to the wedding by myself, and I, the reception was on the second floor of a hall somewhere. I'm lugging these heavy trays. (gasps) I'm like, that's it. Cash from cash here from out. here on out. <laughs> well, weddings, uh, I just have such an issue with them. If you love the big wedding and that is your dream, then you know more power to you. But so many brides that I talk to are are stressed beyond belief because they're doing this wedding that is more in their parents' ideal than their own. Yeah, a lot of times they're doing it, especially if you're younger. Oh yeah, you really get. 
crushed with that. Well, and I think when you're younger, too, when you get married young, you have a million friends who you can't possibly imagine not inviting to your yes. wedding. So the wedding has to be huge. You know, once you get to be 30, you've already weeded out a lot of people. Right. But when you're in your 20s, you know, you're like, I have to invite Jed. He <laughs> yeah. was my fraternity brother, you know. Meanwhile, five years later, you never talk to Jed oh, yeah. again. Mm-hmm. But the amount that it costs to throw a wedding these days is just absolutely insane. And, you know, it's for your parents half the time a or somebody time else. Is, yeah. I mean, we had we had kind of a big wedding, but it was more because we just wanted to have a party. Yeah, but your wedding was exactly what I'm talking about. That was the kind of wedding that I could tell that was you guys. Yeah, we didn't want to do like that. Everybody gets up super dressed up and yeah. stiff and uncomfortable. It was this great representation of your relationship. It was a unique <laughs> experience. Very casual. <laughs> totally. I drove out there with Sean McDowell, who picked me up, and I was a little hungover, mm. and he goes, hair the dog, and he pulled out a warm Guinness on the on the ride <laughs> to the wedding. He's like, Rody. hey man, you want a roadie? I'm like, no, dude, I, I, that's the last thing I want right now. And uh, then he got totally hammered at your wedding. Yeah, and he had a re- he had his own receiving line at he Val's did. wedding, which was <laughs> really kind of uh, interesting. There were a line of people lined up uh, to the car because Sean couldn't get out of the car at that point. Yeah, he was. It was done. So he's just saying goodbye to everybody. He was like the Pope. Everybody was just waving to him <laughs> in a car. But that wedding was like had your fingerprints all over it. The ones it my siblings have done, and I've just seen them be so stressed out. Super fancy. Oh, and, my God. Yeah, like, why are you going through all of this? No. A half dozen charges are being filed in Montana against a woman accused of using a machete to force an ex-boyfriend to have sex with her. Which, how do you perform under that kind of pressure? Very carefully. Uh, Great Falls officers say Samantha Mears went into the man's apartment over the weekend before he came home, then forced him into intercourse while threatening him with the blade when he got there. They say the 19-year-old Mears made him take his clothes off, and uh, she climbed on. Uh, He got away somehow, but not without some injuries. She's accused of also biting him. Uh, her charges include assault with a weapon and aggravated burglary. A lot of a lot of pressure to perform there. Yeah, a lot of pressure to perform there. That'd be, you know, that's a tough one. Oh, you could wilt under those lights. I'll Val. say, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the beef between Tommy Lee and his son seems to have cooled off, but now it's on between Tommy Lee and Howard Stern. The recent troubles for Heather Locklear prompted Howard Stern to comment on what has led to her mental state. He said, quote, you know what drove this woman crazy? She was married to Tommy Lee and Richie Sambora. They made her effing insane, end quote. Well, Tommy heard about it and tweeted, uh, quote, queen of media. How dare you blame me for Heather's recent troubles? That was like 24 years ago, you idiot. Hashtag coward Stern time warp. You should be wishing her well, not bashing me, F-head. What the F is wrong with you? I normally don't respond to this stuff. Effing BS. Heather was married to Tommy from 1986 to 1993 and Richie from 1994 to 2007. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, Tommy seems to be going off the rails a little bit. I didn't and hear Heather. what Howard said, but, I, you know. Uh, I mean, you uh, were on vacation. You probably didn't see what went on with her. I, she was arrested again. I knew she was uh, in trouble, but yeah. I didn't know she was arrested. Yeah, she was arrested again. She she swung at a cop or punched a cop. Then uh, she agreed to go in rehab, which she did the yeah, last time. Yeah, I guess time. that's the story I, th- I saw, that she was headed to rehab. That's all I saw. Yeah, no, this was after another legal incident. Well, uh, so. I mean, Tommy picking a fight with Howard Cern is a bad idea. Yeah, probably. Uh, he's been fighting his son. It's not like Tommy's been like the most up 
standing member of the community lately. He doesn't really have mm-hmm. a, a leg to stand. Well, he has three legs to stand on. <laughs> but he should just shut up. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have anything to do. There's no Motley crew. Somebody take him on tour. Showers and thunderstorms. Some could be severe later this afternoon. Upper 70s for the high. It is 70 now at DVE. It is the DVE Morning Show, and we've got a a heck of a lineup here for you today. Coming up on the program from the Black Crows and now the Magpie Salute, Rich Robinson will give us a shout at 845. They've got a new album and are going to be touring in support of that and uh, always like talking with Rich, man. He's such a cool guy. Really Mm -hmm. interesting dude. And then, how about this? Royalty. Rita Coolidge. Yeah. I mean, she's one of the all-time great singers who is part of rock and roll history. She, I don't know how much she's going to let me talk about this, but I mean, she had a big role in one of the most iconic tours of all time, the Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour, where she then was dating the drummer of... The, the band, there was two drummers there, Jim Keltner and then uh, Jim Gordon, I believe, is the other drummer. Jim Gordon was her boyfriend. He looked exactly like Will Ferrell, which is funny because Chad from the <laughs> yeah, Chili Chad's Peppers does, and he was a drummer too. Jim Gordon drummed on everything. Part of the Wrecking Crew, did a million songs, did a bunch of Clapton stuff, George Harrison, Mad Dogs and Englishman. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he's in jail now for killing his mom, which he did at the height of some crazy LSD trip that he was taking, he basically was like this bipolar guy who was Mm self-medicating with all of this LSD. And she was dating him on that. At the time when he murdered his mother? No, she, Oh, okay. he like supposedly flipped out on the tour and like, uh, abused Rita Coolidge in front of everybody. And Mm -hmm. it freaked everyone out. Cause it was just a bunch of hippies on a plane with, you know, Leon Russell and Joe Cocker. And they were wondering what, what the, why the drummer was freaking out so much. But um, she dated him, and she is credited with writing the piano opening to Layla, the coda part, yeah. you know, that goes into the mm-hmm. second part of Layla. And Jim Gordon, that drummer, took credit for it. But she did it, and her voice is on so many classic rock tunes mm-hmm. that you know. So Ruta, yeah, uh, Ruta, Rita Coolidge will be on at 9.15. Mark Madden, also iconic rock and roll singer. I'm going to... I think we're sitting together tonight for the Jason Bonham White Snake Foreigner show. You and Mark? Yeah, I think we're sitting. Is together. that a Key Bank? Yes. Now, the foreigner that is performing at that show tonight. <laughs> I don't know. I doubt Mick Jones will be there. Oh, I thought I read he was going to oh, be there. Oh, he is going to be there? Oh, yeah. good. Because I know I'll, he kind of picks and chooses, seems like, the bigger cities. That's some BS. That he's going to play. Isn't Burgettstown big enough for him? Apparently, Mick doesn't. Is it a hard G or a soft G? It's a hard G, yeah. Burgettstown. Not Burgettstown. No. Burgettstown. Yes. I don't know why that has changed for me through the years. Burgetter Duntown. (laughs) There you go. Get get her done tonight (laughs) with Foreigner, Whitesnake, and Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Experience. Is that what it's called? Led Zeppelin Evening. Evening. Not Experience. Jimmy Page took that name from him. (laughs) He should have called it In the Evening. Oh, yeah. In the evening with Jason Bond. But then yeah, everybody would have thought they were going to play all in through the outdoor, mm. which was the a lot of people think the crappiest Led Zeppelin album because Robert Plant and John Paul Jones had to do everything because Jimmy Page was so strung out and John <laughs> uh, and John Bonham was just boozing. I'll say, do you ever hear any stories about John Bonham? You know, they just put a statue up of John Bonham mm-hmm. in his hometown, 
Which I said they should have had it vomiting constantly, <laughs> like a fountain. Just <laughs> kids running le- under it, <laughs> exactly. playing in it when it's hot out. Just a lesson to you, kids. <laughs> this is what can happen. Reverse peristalsis. Is that what it's called? Peristalsis. Anyways, apparently he was not a well liked person. Really. I thought he was like the fun party guy. Everybody loved him. And- no, he was like the boy. Like he was a total meathead. I oh. I would have thought he was more like Keith Moon and like everybody loves yeah. Bonzo. But apparently it was like, oh, that guy's such a jerk. Huh. We'll have to ask Madden about that. He knows more about that kind yeah. of stuff. Well, I've that- never seen White Snake, so I'm looking for Red Beach and White Snake, by the way. Uh, Butler County's own Red Beach. Isn't he Butler County? No. Allegheny County. Allegheny County's own Red Beach. <laughs> On guitar for Whitesnake, and yeah. for those of you who have not seen Reb before, I mean, seeing him with David Coverdale. He is an ex-slayer, slinger. He's a badass yeah. and the nicest guy. Yep. Easiest person to root for. So that's at Key Bank Pavilion tonight. Mm-hmm. Still some tickets available. Yep. All right. Good deal. Uh, Tim Ben's filling in for Mike Pursuta with your sports. And, of course, we have the DV Comedy Festival this weekend. Bill will be back on the show tomorrow. I just got back from Colorado. I'll tell you more about that uh, later. I was in Telluride, Colorado for the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. Oh, how was your uh, cliffhanger adventure? So we didn't go. Oh, are you glad or disappointed? My girlfriend is really bummed out. She wanted to go very bad, and I was kind of wimping out on it. Mm -hmm. The more I looked at it, I'm like, I got to tell you. I've never rock climbed before, and this looks intense. And yeah, if it's it your was, first time, it's it, it. It's basically it's called Via Ferrata, and which uh, I, I guess there are other Via Ferratas around the world. But you are chained up, basically. There's a cable, and you just clip onto mm-hmm. the cable. You have the belt, and you have the climbing gear, and everything. And then you walk on a ledge that doesn't your your feet don't even fit on the ledge. This is like your toe. Yeah. And they have hooks that you can hang on to as you traverse around a few hundred feet up in the air. No way. I could get about 10 feet up. Well, I was afraid. I'm like, what if I get out there and I lock up? Yeah, you panic. Like, and I'm like, holy cow. I can't move, right. Because if you fall, the cable catches you, but you're going to be hanging there. You probably slam against the rocks, too. Not hard. You wouldn't, I I don't think it has that much give. Because I kept asking, I'm like, okay, if I let's say I lose my footing, am I like going to be able to grab and pull myself back up onto the ledge? Yeah. And they're like, mm, now nah, you'll be just a little bit too low. I'm like, so if I lose my footing, someone has You're to come done. rescue me. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. And my college roommate who's lived out there since we graduated, he's like, you should do it, dude. <laughs> it's going to get your blood moving. I'm like, hey, have you seen me? I'm like, the blood is moving. Lots of blood movement. Great movement. Blood is just flying around. <laughs> Flowing freely. Yeah. Waking up is not my issue. <laughs> so, no, we didn't end up going because we couldn't get like a time where a guide could take us. Because you oh, have okay, to, yeah. you don't have to go with a guide, but you should go Good with a guide. And one of my friends who does that was unable to do it. Mm. So well, we just did, bad. we did way less crazy hikes, uh, but it was great. And I was up in the mountains and I thought like, I could live like this. Like I'm a billy goat. Yeah. I'm at, 12,000 feet elevation no problem and then your lips dry out and your face cracks 9,000 times and you wake up in the middle of the night just go you can't even breathe because your throat is just like completely coated over and you can't wait to get back to sea level Uh, Buckos fall last night but uh, a bench clearing brawl ensues Tim Benz will give you the full details and Rusty gets a big contract from the uh, from the Penguins that's next 
DVE Sports. All right, Pursuit is off, and we got Tim Benz here filling in this morning with your sports on the DVE Morning Show. Benzy, what's going on? We are brought to you by BobbyRayHall.com, and uh, maybe Brian Russ can get himself a new set of wheels after what he signed for All yesterday. Right. Pirate, uh, Penguins winger got himself a $14 million contract over four years, $3.5 million against the salary cap per season for him. This is EJ Raddick of the NHL Network responding to the deal for Pittsburgh. If you had to move him, probably could move him because of his experience. He can skate. He fits in with this group. So, uh, And it sends a good message, Kevin. You played in the league. You know how it is when you're in that room. Yes. It sends a good message. One of our guys, homegrown guy, we're taking care of him. People like seeing that within the room and also outside when you're trying to attract people. Look at this group. They take care of their own there. I like that. It's a good analysis. However, at some point, it adds up. Yeah. They do a good job of taking care of people. They take care of their own up there a lot, and sometimes in the past has gotten them in trouble. And I don't think it's a bad thing to keep one guy like Rust around. Now, like we talked about before, if it's Haglin at 4, him at 3.5, Shiri at 3, mm-hmm. that's adding up quite a bit. You know, they had to cut ties eventually with Trevor Daly, right? Like, there's an example. Uh, they had to cut ties eventually with Brooks Orpik. There's another example. So, at some point, you just kind of had Chris Kunitz. Now, maybe they'll bring Chris Kunitz back. You know, there's some thinking that they can get Kunitz back for cheaper, and maybe they let, like, a Shiri or a Carl Haglin go, and you put Kunitz back on left wing uh, I mean, somewhere. Yeah, but what what kind of Kunitz are you getting at, at this point? You're getting but. a fourth liner, which is fine if you get him for dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. But Mark and I were talking about this on my Trip Life podcast. The minute that happens, as soon as Sid wants him, he's going to get bumped up to that line, and you know it. Yeah, because that's a security blanket kind of thing. If it makes Sid perform, I never have a problem with that. You know, there are times, and I get why Sullivan didn't capitulate to. Kessel in the postseason, you know, that's just a bad example to set. When Sid did it with a Ginla here, it really was sort of the start of the the beginning for, uh, or the beginning of the end, rather, for the uh, Dan Bilesma era, mm-hmm. because he basically, at that point, was like, all right, uh, these guys get to do whatever they want all the time. There's and different then, rules for different people. And when he had to turn on the tough guy thing, it didn't work. Right. You know, the cat was already out of the bag. Uh, but as it pertains to uh, to Sid, like, calling the shots on, on stuff like that, I mean, I, I guess he's the guy that gets to do that. And if you can find somebody that can play with him, then that person turns into, well, Jake Gensel. And mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing at all. Right. right? And you know, I, I but you avoid having the Kunitz problem the, by not having Kunitz. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't have to get Chris Kunitz. You could get somebody else to do that job. Right. And potentially that could be like, for instance, uh, Teddy Pluger is getting some run right now. If they can't keep Riley Shea, maybe he becomes a fourth line center, and you can bounce somebody else out to wing or something to that effect. But you know, they tried to force feed Dominic Simone last year in the playoffs too. Mm-hmm. That didn't work with him. Right. So I don't. Know, we'll talk more about that with Mark when he comes up at nine forty-five. No, but Rodgers. everyone likes the signings. A, f- a flexible guy. Tons of versatility, Rust, oh, sure. scoring. Yeah. You know, this is uh, largely a good signing. It's just at some point it's going to all add up, and uh, they're going to have to figure something out. Like they're trying to find some room right now financially for Jack Johnson, as a for instance, to help them out on the blue line. He is not the Jack Johnson uh-huh. that was playing with Sidney Crosby at Shattuck St. Mary's. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. And he's definitely not the guy that was with L.A. earlier in his career or uh, even Columbus a couple years ago. He's coming off of what has been his worst season. So if they can get him 
for cheaper than what he was last year, which was like four point three million. If they can get him for like Matt Hunwick range, uh-huh. and then figure out just trade Hunwick for a seventh rounder or something like that, so be it. Didn't his parents steal all of his money or something yes. crazy like that? Yeah. So he is trying really hard to get a lot of that money back in this free agency deal, and I don't think it's going to happen. Oh, that is the just a, what a horrible scenario. Him. Yeah, they his parents scammed built him. him more or less. They uh, they they took. His money, as I recall, and kind of turn it into a pyramid scheme or something to that effect. It's a really twisted affair. Yeah. They did they unknowingly do it? Did they just believe in this pyramid scheme and think, oh, we're gonna make you rich, or did they know that they were basically I don't I can't remember if they got duped by the scheme, but they knowingly did what they did with Jack's money. Eesh. Yeah. That's bad. Uh, this is the week that the Penn's development camp starts up in Cranberry. Uh, one other note, uh, Tom Kunockle apparently rejected a two-year deal before he decided to go uh, via free agency when they are f- trying to figure out if they are going to give him a qualifying offer or not. That from Jason Mackey over at the PG. Other hockey news, Martin Brodeur, Martin St. Louis, Willie O'Ree, and Gary Bettman all getting into the Hall of Fame. No love yet for Sergei Gonchar, Sergei Zubov, or Jim Rutherford. Jim's going to get in. It's just a matter of when, you would think, at this point, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the only GM in the expansion era to win a cup with two teams, and he's won back-to-back cups with this team, so it's got to happen. I, I don't know what qualifications or time period you wait for a GM, especially one of his age. Just put him in. Also, I don't like Bettman going in while he served. Did you check while he's still s- serving as commissioner? Did yeah, I, you check on the Tagliabue thing? i got to check on Tagliabue, but... um. And I'll check on some of the baseball guys, too. David Stern. I Is David Stern in, in Springfield? He must be. I don't know. I'll have to take a look at that one as well. You would think. Baseball, the Pirates lost the Mets 4-3 to three extra innings. Chad Cool, three wild pitches, four innings pitch, left with forearm discomfort. There's a little fracas in the eighth inning when Jay Hay, Josh Harrison, slid into second base. And uh, the pitcher, Juris Familia, was upset with him for doing so and said that Harrison needs to play the game the right way. Uh, apparently he said play the game the right way. And uh, I mean, if you go back and look at the footage, I think I played the game the right way. Didn't touch the guy. Broke up a double play without touching the guy or hurting the guy at the end of the day. I think that's playing the game the right way. Yeah, the shortstop, Atribal Cabrera, didn't have a problem with it. Wasn't bent out of shape by the slide whatsoever. And the pitcher was the one that apparently overreacted. Former Steeler practice squatter and West A and Pitt star Doran Dickerson is leaving Pittsburgh Wednesday for a four-day tryout with the WWE. His wrestling name is going to be Rico Dash. <laughs> That's a bad Which, name. You think so? Uh, Rico Dash? You'll remember it, though, right? No, wait, what's Rico Dash? Why am I not remembering that? Oh, no, no, I just like I think it sticks in oh, your head. Oh, I remember. I thought it had something to do with when he played here. Like, remember when he... Did the Rico Dash? And- Actually, like Scorin Doran is sort of a wrestling name. That was his nickname while he was here and when he was at Pitt, too. Yeah, Doran's better. I don't know. that It has such a good... Maybe I'm just thinking Major League, but that could be a really good... Scorin Doran, I think, could be uh, marketable. And then there's this. Uh, we gave you, if you missed it, in the 630 sportscast. Or he could be a villain and be foreign Doran, because, you know, <laughs> these days... He climbs over his own wall every yeah, time he comes exactly. into the ring. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Archie Bradley, the relief pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks, revealed on a Major League Baseball podcast on YahooSports.com yesterday that he actually this year soiled himself upon entry into a game. He was getting ready in the bullpen, and moments before he went onto the field, he soiled himself in the bullpen and had to pitch through an inning with excrement in his baseball pants. He explains how the inning went here. 
Did you look to see if it was showing and stuff? Yes, I did. I did check the mirror. I checked the you know white pants were at home, and I actually told my teammates. I stepped out the bathroom. I was like, "Hey, am I okay? I just I myself. Like I'm about to go into this game, and they didn't believe me. They didn't believe me until they unfortunately saw the mess in the bathroom because I didn't have time. I was like, I got to go in the game. And so it was the most uncomfortable I've ever been on the mound. And and I actually had a good inning. I had a clean inning, and I walked in the dugout, and I was like, guys, I just myself. Did he really say I had a clean inning? I had a clean inning. I had a clean inning. I had a clean inning. Yeah, I bet the mind sweep afterwards wasn't that clean. Oh, good lord. The poor equipment manager. And I just love the fact that- wash those things. It hit him right away. Oh my God, we're wearing the home whites. We had- (laughs) They they can't have like pirates nineteen seventy nine throwback home Sunday blacks or anything like that. No, it's got to be the diamondback pearl thank, home whites. Thank God I played for the Padres in nineteen seventy eight. The Kirk Bavakwood Brown is right, that what you're yeah. talking about? Yeah, you would have been fine if that was the case. Tim Benz filling in for Mike Pursuta with your sports on DVE. Val's got news up. Uh, We're going to talk at the top of the hour about uh, why people uh, or how pissed people get when sick co-workers come in and how we all avoid germs. The Black Crow's Rich Robinson, 845 today. Also, Rita Coolidge, rock and roll legend. She has a new album out. We'll talk with her at 915 Double M. Mark Madden closing things out this morning. It is the DVE Morning Show. Randy Bauman, Val Porter, Valerie. Yes. It's good to be back in Pittsburgh. Yeah, good to have you back. Where it is raining. Still. Ah, beautiful weather. It was raining when I left Mm -hmm. on uh, Thursday morning, and my whole neighborhood flooded out. That was the night the the cars were floating down Banksville Road, which Mm -hmm. was surreal. I live not far from Banksville, so I drove down to just check it out, because I had to get a couple things before I took off, and they had the whole street blocked off, and it looked like a river. Yeah, it was crazy. Bridgeville, Upper St. Clair, Bethel. And it seemingly hasn't stopped. The rain just continues. Yeah, it's a wet summer. So I went to Telluride, Colorado, for the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. And every time I told somebody that, they're like, I didn't know you were a fan of bluegrass. And I'm like, I like bluegrass. It's like, the is it a, uh, a misnomer? Like like Jazz Fest. Like Jazz Fest, yes. It is a little bit less so. New, like New Orleans Jazz Fest has very um, little percentage-wise jazz at the festival compared mm-hmm. to all the other genres yeah, that are represented. Yeah, like Bon Jovi. They have one... Right. They have one fest. stage devoted to jazz at Jazz Fest, and they have 18 stages that do other stuff. Uh, Bluegrass is different. There's one stage in Town Park in Telluride, Colorado. How big is Telluride? Telluride is very small. I mean, it's 9,000 feet elevation, uh, and then the mountain goes up to, like, I think... 14 i'm not sure but at any rate it's a small small town that you can't fly into commercially in the summer so where do you fly into you fly in either montrose colorado or durango where the wildfires have been and oh, it's in the yeah. is it the san juan mountains is that what it is but they're mm-hmm. all these the jagged mountains because they're the youngest mountains so they look like those european peaks you know oh yeah so it's this really harsh terrain and it's this beautiful beautiful part of the country um but it is inordinately difficult to get to and the Bluegrass Festival basically is like one band, one bluegrass band, then like another genre. Mm-hmm. So the headliners were like Tedeschi Trucks Band played Thursday night, and they were great. And Sturgill Simpson closed it out. The band Leftover Salmon was there. I don't remember. So there's about St. Paul and the Broken Bones. So they had soul acts and rock acts and stuff. But we were just camping out in the mountains. Oh, you camped? Well, no. I, oh. mean, by ca- I mean, at the festival. You were encamped. Yeah, because you're just there. But these people... Because it's first come, first serve on the seating, they would do this thing every morning called the tarp run. So at 9 a.m., the gates would open for Town Park and Telluride. Mm-hmm. And they had a band on stage 
like that would play Reveille or whatever, and everybody would sprint across the field <laughs> carrying their tarps to lay the tarps out on the ground. Lay your so this is Yeah, because once you stake it in, boom, this is our territory. It's like a, a beach towel of the beach. From 9 a.m. until 11 at night when it stopped. So they had a full 14 hours wow. of ground claimed. So then they'd put their chairs up and everything else, and you basically want to go and get as close as possible to see the stage. Sure. But the problem is, is that a lot of the people would be running, and they'd have chairs and lawn <laughs> chairs and stuff and, and these tarps. So there's tons of video of it you can see on uh, YouTube. People are blowing each other up, like falling all, all over the place and tripping on each other's tarps, trying to get down there in order to get the best seating. It's called the Tarp Run? Yeah, it's the Telluride Tarp Run. Uh, but it was such a great festival. I have to... I, <laughs> can you see it right now? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's nuts. Like, they don't do that at, at the Arts Festival, but they should probably yeah. institute that down at Three Rivers. Uh, but I want to thank Brian Eister and the people at Planet Bluegrass because I got a media pass, which I've never done before. Oh, nice. Because I'm media, Val. That's right. And we got to go hang out and like sit in front of the stage when we wanted to and stuff. That, it cool. was just an incredible time. I highly recommend it. See, music festivals for me, I don't have kids. That's your uh, yeah. vacation. But my uh, friends have kids and they brought their kids to the festival. Yeah, that's it not like, like a family affair. Yeah, that's a good uh, something like that's great to take kids to. But it is interesting to watch the dynamic between a married couple when there is uh, they're at a music festival and there's this push and pull of who's going to be the parent, who's going to keep an eye on the offspring, who right, who's going to be the responsible one, and the beers start going down. <laughs> Where's our kids? I'll tell you, the one thing is, like, the difference out there in recycling versus here. Like, Oh, they so, recycle everything. So hyper-aware. Like, everything that the food was served on was compostable, compostable. So they had people directing you where to put garbage, which they did at Three Rivers Arts Festival, mm-hmm. too, to be fair. But I got yelled at because I didn't have a cup when I went back for a beer the oh, first time. Oh, so you time. had to get a new one. I went to they the same to guy, and he was like, I'm like, yeah, can I get uh, one of the loggers? And there was some local brewery out there that provided all the beer. And he's like, where's your cup, dude? And I'm like, don't you have one? And he goes, yeah, but I... <laughs> I mean, I mean you're, am I just supposed to put it in my hand? Right. I don't know. Can I chug it? And he's like, no, I gave you a cup last time you got a beer. I'm like, oh, you remembered me. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I guess I recycled. I threw it in the recycle thing. And he's like, dude. Wow. That like, is on. hardcore. I was like, he's like, you should buy one of these $10 reusable cups. And I totally got guilted into doing it. I'm like, totally, I'll do it. And I'll use it the rest of the weekend. And did you? Yeah. Oh, well, that, but then I work. had like a dirty beer glass. Like, yeah, that's at the end of the night. Just cooked in the sun and stuff all day. But it felt so good. Five days off Twitter for me, Val. I am jealous. Five days off of the Twitter. That must have been the most freeing soul awakening five days of your life it was and the second and i got i like reloaded the app yesterday on my phone and i logged back in on my desktop computer at home to prepare for today and i felt the cortisol stress zooming through my veins within about five minutes fight or flight oh good lord what are we doing (laughs) to ourselves there's no point. And uh, I told you I'm the so trip jealous. kicked off with a fight on my plane. So I had a three-hour <laughs> flight to Denver where these two guys were fighting with each other. Like they wanted to beat each other's ass. Flight attendants, I'm telling you, it should be built into the seat like tasers. 
And then the the control pad, the uh, flight attendants have access to it. Like, oh, these two are acting up. I'm all for that, except no seat on any airplane ever works. <laughs> That's true. You can't even. That's probably what started the fight. It was what started the seat fight. Seat didn't work. It reclined too far, and then they, they started fighting with one another. Because you know if they had tasers built into the seats that there's no way you wouldn't get shocked unwarranted at least twice a flight. If you asked Sorry. for two extra drinks or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you deserve a zap. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it was nice to get away for a while, but uh, boy, the altitude, man. Does it make you lightheaded? What? I've only yeah. been to, to Colorado once. Yeah, it, it you know, you uh you have a hard time breathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the first day. I was like <laughs> I was loading the luggage and I was like <gasps> my girl was like you going okay? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to you know just altitude. So you we bought get a, used to it. And they sell cans of oxygen. Really? Yeah, you can buy a can of oxygen. Did you oxygen. buy one? Of course. <laughs> and how did that go? I have did it no help? idea. Oh, you didn't try. I don't know. I, I bought like a couple other things that I was, you know, going to use that I was using as well. So I, <laughs> <laughs> to combat the altitude. Yeah. So I'm not sure, but one of them worked because uh, I did was Did you bring fun. back the oxygen? I did. I should have oh, what would the- it do if, if you took it he- if you squirted it here? I mean, it's just oxygen. It. I really didn't feel any different. You know, we were like hiking Snake some oil. pretty severe terrain, mm-hmm. and I was like, I bet that oxygen would be good right now. And then I did it, <laughs> and it didn't feel like anything. I'm like, I think it's just blowing air in my mouth now. <laughs> I think this is just like an air horn that's almost ready to die, <laughs> and that's what I'm sticking into my mouth, thinking it's going to do something. Uses to clean my keyboard. It's basically like a tourist stupid thing they they sell to suck you into spending trick some money. people. Yeah, no, this will really help you with the altitude. <laughs> yeah, right. And they had huge cans, like big raid sized cans. <laughs> Like you whip that out in a restaurant or something. If you're just hanging out, and, like no way to put, like label yourself a tourist more than to be like talking to somebody. Hey, hold on one second. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm ready to go. Feel better. But it was nonstop music. It was so much fun. I had a blast. And thanks to all the folks at Planet Bluegrass once again because that was good. I'm glad you had a good time. And I came right back in time for the the DVE Comedy Festival. Yeah. It'll be a good weekend. Oh, by the way, I did not climb. Yeah, as I was mentioning earlier, the the Via Ferrata thing that my friends wanted to do. Yeah, I've never rock climbed before, and it seemed dangerous to start with a thing where Uh, you're a a few hundred feet in the air. Seems seems a little advanced (laughs) for a first time. They were my friends are like, quit being a wuss. I'm like, I got little vertigo on a chairlift two years ago. Is that a bad sign? Like, I thought I was going to fall off a chairlift. <laughs> what happens if that happens to me while I'm out there? And then I'm, you know, well, radio like DJ hangs screaming. For, and then I was afraid of the things I would yell if I did get stuck out there. Yeah, and then you'd be in the news. And my girlfriend would be there going, viral. This guy is such a pansy. I'm like, you know, imagine the screams that would have come out of me if I was <laughs> hanging from a cable. And I don't want to die. <laughs> Just, you can never get that moment back. <laughs> So why even put myself in position to yeah. potentially go I'm there? I'm with you. Best case scenario, I do the thing that all my friends said, dude, you can do it. It's easy. Worst case scenario, a moment I never lived down forever. Not worth it. Yeah. The anxiety of thinking of that alone was enough to make me not want to do it. Because yeah, you're on you. a ledge where your your feet aren't it, all the way on. It's see, like your when toes you're saying, are there. When you say ledge, I imagine like a tiny step. 
that's just built into the rock. That's kind of it's what, not. It's like the, hooks. Some of it is you're going from from like hooks to hook. Yeah, with your feet. With, yeah, uh, using your feet. Right. Yeah, that's not anything I want a part of. Yeah, I don't need to act like I'm all cool. I am not a thrill seeker. I like doing stuff like that, but that's a little too much I for like, me. I should start at REI on the thing they have on the first maybe floor. Maybe that's a good idea first. Actually get some climbing experience before yes. I'm like, oh yeah, dude, I could do that super hard thing. It's a go. I'm a dude. <laughs> <laughs> At least you didn't react like the guy in the plane when they kind of called you out a little bit. What do you mean? Like it, the guy who was like, oh, we're going to go oh, now? Freak. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't freak out like that. But boy, people are willing to fight in public now, aren't they? Just scream at, at one another. At the drop of a hat. Everybody is ready to go. Everyone's just yelling nonstop. Fists ready. That's right. That's why I carry a can of oxygen. And as soon as somebody <laughs> starts getting mean... I just spray it all over him, Val. <laughs> what do you got going on? Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to talk about, I usually it's something we talk about in the winter, but people coming to work sick and how you avoid germs and, and how much it pisses people off. Uh, can I tell you how many people I ran into from Pittsburgh, too? Everywhere I go, everywhere all of us go, Pittsburgh never leaves you. And yep. the amount of times somebody was like, Pittsburgh! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one dispensary they have there, you know, because there's like weed dispensaries everywhere. Uh-huh. So I just wanted to go look at it. I mean, sure. I don't know. I don't know what that stuff's all about. Experience. Like, yeah, let me go see what culture. they have here. And uh, the dude takes my ID and he's like, Pittsburgh. Dude, I played at Pitt with Tyler Palco. <laughs> I'm like, are you for real? He's like, yeah, man, I was on that team. And I'm like, and now you run a weed store? He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, cool. All, all right. right. He's like, yeah, man, I love Pittsburgh. Good times. He's like, do you ever see him? And I'm like, actually, yeah, but how would you know that? <laughs> He's like, oh, Pittsburgh's small. I just figure everyone knows each other. It's not that small. We do. Chill out. <laughs> Rich Robinson, 845. Black Crow's uh, guitarist takes the Magpie Salute out on tour, and they've got a new album. Also, Rita Coolidge, rock and roll legend, 915. And Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin Experience. Is that what Led it's called? Led Zeppelin Evening. Evening. Not Experience. They... Jimmy Page took that name from him. <laughs> he should have called it In the Evening. Oh, yeah. In the Evening with Jason Bond. But Damn, then everybody would have thought they were going to play all in through the outdoor, mm-hmm. which was the a lot of people think the crappiest Led Zeppelin album because Robert Plant and John Paul Jones had to do everything because Jimmy Page was so strung out and John, <laughs> uh, and John Bonham was just boozing. I'll say, do you ever hear any stories about John Bonham? You know, they just put a statue up of John Bonham mm-hmm. in his hometown. Which I said they should have had it vomiting constantly, <laughs> like a fountain. Just kids running under it, playing <laughs> exactly. in it when it's hot out. Just a lesson to you kids. <laughs> this is what could happen. Randy Bellman and the DVE Morning Show. He did. He died on his puke, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Him and Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. and supposedly Janis Joplin. Mm-hmm. Though uh, that was rumored to be a ham sandwich, or no, that was, that was Mama, Mama Cass. Cass. But there was no that. That's not true with Mama Cass. That was a rumor. No, I guess there was a ham sandwich in the room, mm. which really, <laughs> come on, unfair, a heavy person, and there's a sandwich in the room. Oh, that must have been like it's a hell of a correlation to draw. He, well, you know. When, if she what? was choking on it, if it was like sticking out of her mouth when they found her. Yeah, that'd be that, uh, clear evidence. Right. It was just a, a ham sandwich in the room. Circumstantial. <laughs> yeah. Well, how did Mama Cass die? I don't know. Did she? That wasn't a puke thing, was it? Just an OD? 
And there are rumors that uh, Jim Morrison wasn't a drug overdose. Sean knows all the conspiracy theories about Heart that attack. one. Heart attack. Heart attack from Mama Cass? Yes. She was a hell of a singer, man. Go I'll watch say. the uh, mm-hmm. Monterey Pop Fest, the 67 DVD. The Was it 67 or 69? The one that was like uh, the West Coast Woodstock. It's a great video. It has everything. From, that's that's Jimi Hendrix's coming out party. Mm-hmm. Getting back to uh, Jimmy. Anyways, we'll talk with Rich Robinson coming up at 845, former Black Crows guitarist, who now takes the Magpie Salute out playing music of the Black Crows, but they've written a bunch of new tunes. They got a new album and a new tour, and it's always great to talk with Rich. So that'll be 845. And rock and roll legend Rita Coolidge has a new album as well, and we'll talk with her at 915. Here's a Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast brought to us by Dormont Appliance. It's 72 degrees at DVE. The news is brought to us by Citizens Bank. Very few details coming out this morning, but Channel 2 tweeting that East Pittsburgh Police Officer Michael Rosfeld has been charged with criminal homicide, and that, of course, for the shooting of 17-year-old Antoine Rose. I'm sure uh, many more details will be coming out uh, today. Pittsburgh's second medical marijuana dispensary is officially open. The Cresco Yeltra Medical Marijuana dispensary is in the strip it's located on penn avenue this is the second within city limits and the fourth for our area overall yeah you know with um oklahoma voted yesterday i believe to legalize medicinal marijuana Mm -hmm. and allow for personal growth uh, (laughs) figuratively and literally (laughs) um but the tide seems to really be turning here mm-hmm. in this country and attitudes towards marijuana use for medicinal purposes have been clear cut for a long long time but even yes. recreational use has changed a vast majority of americans are in favor of it mm-hmm. and canada just legalized it the whole country those yeah. bastards that we hate up there <laughs> they've uh, legalized uh recreational marijuana use as well so you know having just been in colorado I can tell you, I think that a lot of people who don't or haven't been around and experienced where it is legal, uh, the feeling is that you walk into these towns and everybody's just going to be smoking big doobies and blood. Yeah, Yeah. but you're not allowed to just smoke anywhere. Right. It is way more restricted than alcohol use. The festival I was at, you weren't allowed to just sit there smoking weed. Really? No. Even where it's recreationally allowed. No. You you had to be respectful of people around you. I now, guess you it's could, like cigarettes. Right. You could carry beers around. Well, they also had wildfire concerns out there, so that oh, was a yeah, different that's thing. that's true. Yeah. And vapes have become really the more preferred methodology for mm-hmm. smoking out there, it seemed anyways. Everybody was smoking vapes, so that's not as invasive. You know, People around you aren't being affected by you hitting vapor. Right. Uh, but the people who did want to smoke had to go way back onto by the bathrooms where there was a dirt area because they didn't want you sparking anything anywhere near any grass anywhere there were constant announcements about that but um so for people who wonder what it would be like you're not having weed smoke blown in your face everywhere there aren't people in bars doing it it's Mm -hmm. way more restricted than alcohol use which you know i was carrying a beer around all weekend you know there's no issue with that but uh it's not quite as uh Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, you know, as a lot of people anticipated it would be. It's very restricted and, uh, you know, people are responsible. Permit Patty, no longer the CEO of her medical marijuana company, Treatwell Health, a spokesperson for the business, says Allison 
Edel has resigned effective immediately after backlash from a viral video. The white San Francisco woman dubbed Permit Patty purportedly called 911 to complain about an eight-year-old African-American girl selling bottled water. The girl was reportedly trying to raise money for a trip to Disneyland. Some dispensary owners say they've stopped buying Treatwell products and they'll give the young girl proceeds from the sale of any Treatwell health products remaining on their shelves. Yeah, that was one story, I, you know... I, not sorry you missed yeah yeah just there's a lot of stuff that happened in the last five days but i think you could pick any five days right now and there would be a million stories like this yeah uh that was one i was uh, not sorry that uh, i didn't have to pay attention to as right. it was unfolding she looks exactly like the lady in oakland that called the cops what do you mean remember the woman who was like mad that the black people were barbecuing in oakland california oh oh okay yeah there's like a look but I don't know. There's a look to the to the to the, the white lady callers who are upset. I think she's just bitchy. Well, then she said she didn't actually call the cops. She was just trying to scare the eight year old into thinking the cops were coming for her. <laughs> I don't know. How much, just move about your day. Live and let live, Val. One week from today is Fourth of July already. Hard to believe. New York City is the number one big city for July 4th celebrations. Uh, That is according to a new WalletUp survey that gives the Big Apple high marks for its spectacular fireworks show, holiday festivals, restaurant affordability and walkability. L.A., Chicago, Denver, and Seattle rounding out the top five, which, I don't know, I think Pittsburgh has a pretty spectacular 4th of July celebration. I mean, the fireworks always look awesome. Yeah, Along the river, yeah, and the landscape is so pretty. And, right, yeah. yeah. The National Retail Federation estimates Americans will spend six point nine billion dollars on food this Independence Day, down from last year's record of seven point one billion. That is a night that you do not want to be stuck in an Uber. Yeah, Fourth of July, around uh, the fireworks the in points, Pittsburgh. Yeah. And that is just a snarled traffic situation <laughs> where you can just be stuck for hours. Right. Or just plan on hanging out for a few hours. Walk. Wait, wait it out. Hey, we got 8 million bike paths. Just take, take one of the true. bike lanes. Wallet Hub says Pennsylvania, one of the least patriotic states. They what? Def- they defined patriotism in two main ways, military service and doing your civic duty like voting and volunteering. The rest of the 10 least patriotic are Massachusetts, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Illinois, New York, Connecticut, California, Michigan, and Delaware. The most patriotic are Virginia, Alaska, Wyoming, South Carolina, Idaho, Colorado, Hawaii, Washington, North Carolina, and Georgia. Whatever. Uh, it seems like nowadays people are more likely to tell coworkers to stay home when they're sick, but according to a new survey, 6% of people say they get pissed when call, uh, coworkers call in six, uh, sick. And another 19% wouldn't take it that far, but they do get annoyed when somebody calls in sick a lot, which might explain this stat. A third of people say they've exaggerated how sick they were when they called off to make sure nobody <laughs> judged them. I I know that you feel as i do that when people call in sick for work it's like the nicest thing they can do yes thank you don't spread the germs yeah we want our co-workers to not come in and spread gross things all over the place so <laughs> how do people try to avoid germs over half say they avoid handshakes because they're worried not about spreading their own germs they're worried about getting germs from other people some clever ways we avoid handshakes. Pretend uh, we're looking for something in our purse or a backpack. <laughs> P- 
pretending we're sick so the other person doesn't initiate. And this was a strange one, holding our breath and walking away, which I just remember. I just imagine <laughs> someone going, <gasps> and like blowing their cheeks, cheeks out and like running. I don't know. The fist bump is uh, really the way to go. Yeah. Fist bump or elbow elbow bump was on the list. Faking getting a phone call, ignoring the person completely and just not introducing ourselves. Which is awkward if you're in a very small, like, four-person group of people. There was uh, uh, somebody this past week uh, that was, I didn't know, that knew my friends. And she hugged everybody. Hello. People that she didn't Mm. really know and just met. And uh, I was a little too far away. And so she just waved to me. And I was like, okay. (laughs) You were insulted? No, not really. I was like, I'm glad. But, you know. Like, it, it felt uh, like a snub. I didn't get the hug. Yeah. It wasn't like I wanted to hug her, but it was it was her not wanting to hug me. I'm oh, like, oh, yeah. really? Okay. Fine. <laughs> I'm the guy. All right. No, that's fine. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Wave to you, too. Not worth a hug. Um, how much time do you think you waste online at work? At work? Yeah. Well, I mean, definitively, we're kind of yeah, well, filling of, in the gaps. Right. So, yeah. uh, well, the average person spends at least four hours a week looking at random websites when they're supposed to be working. I can tell you when I was an accountant <laughs> for a very brief period of time as a young person, I screwed off constantly. <laughs> That's all I did. I would just read the paper and constantly you know, not be work. on ESPN and stuff. Yeah, not work. So if I had the a phone with Twitter at my disposal and I was uh, doing a, yeah. a, a real job, I would constantly be screwing around. So those uh, four hours a week works out to about 200 hours a year or 26 entire work days. The median American salary, $45,800. So you get paid $4,500 a year to surf the net. If you owned a business, would you put a filter so that your employees could not surf the internet? Well, it's funny you say that. Only about 11% of companies don't block any websites on employees' computers. 85% will block porn sites. (laughs) 61% block online dating, 38% block social media, and 13% block retail sites like, you know, Amazon or Yeah, well, that's that's smart because, you know, you don't want people to spend time Shopping. shopping. But I bet there's some study that concludes that restricting website access is worse than allowing your employees to do it. Well, porn, I would say you probably should. <laughs> That's probably a good one to restrict. Yeah, but if somebody's going in the workplace, uh, don't you want to know who the people in your office are that would look up porn while they're at work? Those deviants. Don't you want them to reveal themselves? Wear the scarlet letter. Because there are guys in offices around town who share porn. Like, oh, I'm sure. Right. Even today. I mean, when it's so, you know. People are like, you can't do that kind of stuff. No, and I would want to know who those people are. <laughs> like, oh, well, thanks, Brent. That was very nice of you to show me this uh, midget porn. But uh, got to tell you, inappropriate. We're gonna have in to take place. you off a couple accounts. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, well, a year after Def Leppard guitarist Phil Collin hand painted 30 pairs of sneakers for Vancouver's 604 Shoe Company, the band and 600 have joined forces for 604 individually numbered pairs. The styles draw inspiration from album art on their three most iconic albums, On Through the Night, Pyromania, and Hysteria, and sport a style dedicated to the logo. They're priced at $265 a pair. They'll be on display at meet and greets on tour when it resumes Sunday in Atlanta. Unfortunately, we miss them. You know, you missed it here. Uh, You can find a link to the website on the morning show page at dve.com if you want to check out those sneakers. Finally, Jerry Seinfeld says ABC's firing of Roseanne Barr was overkill. The network fired Barr recently and canceled her show, Roseanne, after she tweeted a racist slur against a former Obama official. Fellow TV star Jerry Seinfeld says the move was unnecessary because Barr was sabotaging herself. In an interview with USA Today this week, Jerry noted that Roseanne's history of offensive tweets and said, you don't need to murder someone who's committing suicide. He suggested the show would have collapsed on its own, but added he really didn't know much about it. Seinfeld currently promoting his Netflix show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, which starts new episodes on July 6th. I I, I think that's a bad take on that, only because it feels like he's not taking into account the fact he's just talking about her, as if there was a goal to take her down. Mm-hmm. And the reason they canceled it was because hypocritically i might add they didn't want to have any association with those beliefs so to say like wait for her to commit suicide they would have been going down the drain with her mm-hmm. had they you know allowed her to continue to spiral and so abc didn't yeah, want to because be, it wouldn't have ended there right so abc didn't want to be complicit in the further spiraling even though they knew this all along so it is completely disingenuous of abc to claim some sort of moral high ground in all of this and then for them to keep going with the series that's yeah, gonna be the connors yeah i mean just let it go you know jerry well, um the ratings were pretty big when i was pretty huge in colorado this past weekend my friends who worked at the resort out there said jerry seinfeld goes there all the time mm-hmm. and everybody hates him why he's got a horrible reputation really yeah, why, he's like, like a, just a jerk just a rude guy yeah very much so and you know who else they hate out there which i loved oprah ah uh, they all really? hate oprah because they said she's she, so arrogant she's a total hypocrite she, you know you way? think oprah's like the nicest person in the world yeah. and like no Good, she, she uses her money and power and lawyers to like circumvent all the environmental regulations out there oh, okay. she built like this huge palace and took all this government land and then like apologized for it later and then got the you know government but to i'm gonna acquiesce. enjoy my mansion anyway yeah because she's oprah so they all hated hated oprah uh. i don't know why i loved hearing that <laughs> Because you hate Oprah? It's possible. (laughs) Showers and thunderstorms today. Some could be severe uh, late this afternoon and evening, upper 70s for the high. It's 72 at DVE. Just when those big stars go to places like that and they build it so nobody else can be around them. Then why do you even want to be there? Well, they want to buy all the property around. They did. She has 60, is that right? 60,000 acres or something? That's pretty big. That's a lot. Manhattan? Is that the size of Manhattan? (laughs) I think it's something. She could afford it. Yeah, she could. On the way for you. Pursuit out this week. Benzie's got your sports when we return. The Buckos lose another one. The Penguins nailed down rust for the next couple of years. And after that, Rich Robinson from the Black Crows. The Magpie salute out on tour and they got a new album. We'll talk with Rich. DVE Sports. All right, Pursuit is out. 
Tim Benz filling in with a sports update for you right now on the DVE Morning Show. Benzie, what's going on? Uh, brought to you today by Mattress Firm. And we're talking about the Penguins to start because they're keeping Brian Rust. After giving him a qualifying offer as a restricted free agent, they hammered out a deal before unrestricted free agency, so that means he'll get $3.5 million over the course of four years. Security for him. And another big thing with this, Randy, is uh, they don't have to have an arbitrator risk screwing them with a big decision. Right. And that's one big thing about this. It's part of the reason why they're doing what they're doing with Riley Shea so as not to have dictated to them what the terms are because they've got a very tight cap plan here to try to maneuver things around. And uh, Russ coming in at 3.5. It's between Carl Hagelin and Connor Sheary, which kind of makes sense. In fact, uh, you could suggest that he does more things besides just score that elevate him above the importance, at least of Sheary and maybe of Hagelin, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I mean, as we've said this morning already, the versatility he offers. He's been a clutch guy. Uh, big games, uh, big goals in uh, big games. Um, but uh, at some point, uh, it's all going to add up, Tim. Big goals like this one? Out of the long toss. The take by Malkin. Gains the zone, drives into Kunitz. On now for Rusty. That was Game 7 against Tampa after yeah. he had two against Tampa in Game 6 previously and, of course, Game 7 in Washington last year. Mark andre Fleury certainly remembered for that one. Hornquist, too, but Rust also had a goal in that contest as well. All right, now I looked Would into- you compare him to Talbot in terms of... Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, Talbot's goals came in Cup Finals, though, and it was a Game 7 of a Cup Final, and previously to stay alive and force a Game 6 back here in a mm-hmm. Cup Final in the 08 season, so not quite that big, but I don't know. He shouldn't have to buy a steak again as far as... I, he no. could with $14 million, but he shouldn't have to. Right, that's what I was saying earlier. Like, if he had more of the... Tal- like, Talbot's personality sort of preceded him. Everybody loved him so much so that when he came through, it was that much easier to sort of, uh, you know, uh, deify him. Uh, whereas Rusty, he's kind of he's a subdued guy. Right. You know? He's not quite as flashy. Yeah, he has never lost a fight to win a series like Max Talbot did against the <laughs> Flyers. Uh, as far as the Hockey Hall of Fame goes, uh, we mentioned that Martin Brodeur got in, so did Martin St. Louis, Willie O'Ree, the first ever African-American player in the National Hockey League, and Gary Bettman gets into the Hall. I looked it up. I don't even think Tagliabue's in, actually, now that I looked at it. David Stern got in like six weeks after he retired, so it was kind of set up for him to go in as he was retiring from the NBA. So it is kind of weird to have a sitting committee. Like Bowie Kuhn from Major League Baseball, he had to die before he got in. Yeah, but he why did he get he in? Commissioners shouldn't get in unless they instituted some sort of groundbreaking policy that affected the game. Not just because they they were stewards. Well, he's in our Hall of Fame because he made sure Sidney Crosby came to Pittsburgh. So. Well, there's that, yes. Thank you for rigging <laughs> the draft for us. The cold envelope, like Patrick Ewing. Uh, here's Bettman talking about getting into the Hall. Uh, it, it actually blows my mind. It's not anything that I was focused on, uh, certainly not now, and uh, I'm honored, obviously, uh, and I'm, it, it, is, it is really a wonderful moment uh, in recognition of the growth of the game. And he has gotten some pretty good markets teams like Las Vegas, and I think Seattle's going to do well when they get a hockey team as well. 
So, um, you know, he gets booed everywhere he goes, but there have been some positives to his time here. It's just, it's weird to have a sitting commissioner go in. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. It feels awkward. Uh, baseball-wise, the Pirates lost 4-3 to in extra innings against the New York Mets as Pittsburgh falls to defeat to the Mets. For the first time since the New York getting a victory, uh, they lost seven in a row prior to last night. Weird play in the eighth where jo- um, Jay Hay goes sliding in Harrison and he takes out Cabrera, Astrobel Cabrera, at second base. And the pitcher, Juris Familia, got mad at Josh Harrison for doing so. But according to Harrison, Cabrera was fine with it. The whole thing with Familia, not really worried about it because I'm a middle infielder, talked to Cabrera, he was good. So that's why you saw Cabrera come up to me as the altercation like, hey, we're good. Yeah, yeah. He, came, he came up and quelled the whole thing. It was Familia who popped off about yeah, it. Yeah, you're nothing. a pitcher. And one concern now for the Pirates is what's going on with Chad Cool. He threw three wild pitches and left the game with uh, forearm discomfort. Every time I write something good about one of the starting pitchers, they end up blowing up and melting down. I'm like a curse for these guys. Stop doing it. I know. I'll just be negative. Uh, Now there's this uh, from the Pittsburgh Steelers. We haven't done much Steelers today. There's lots of news yesterday, but not much with the Steelers until I saw the Rich Eisen show. Did you see this clip that's going around with Paul Rudd? I heard about it. All right, so Paul Rudd, Mm Ant-Man, you think you know your 1970s Steelers? How about Paul Rudd, who apparently was a huge Steelers fan growing up. He was on the Rich Eisen show yesterday and started talking sports, and he was proving his Steeler fandom. Do uh, Rocky Blyer to start. He's 20. 20, mm-hmm. correct. Mm-hmm. Wynn Swan. 88. Benny Cunningham. 89. Larry Brown. 79. Wow. Nailing it, <laughs> actually. This is... Theo. Or or do this, the, Theo Bell, Theo T Bell, Bell eighty three, yeah. eighty three. Correct. If you want, come on, say a number, and I'll see if I can get that player. Nice, sixty three, sixty three. Was that Ernie Holmes? Tom. Oh, Dornbrook. oh no. Oh, it. Tom Dornbrook. Yeah, yeah. Oh right, 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 right. Ernie Holmes was he was before seventy nine. Okay, give another one. Forty seven. Forty seven was Mel Blunt. Correct. Fifty nine. Fifty nine was Jack Ham. Fifty two. Fifty two. Mike Webster. They're all correct. Fantastic. Pretty impressive. Paul Rudd, everybody. 58 for the win? 58 for the win would be Jack Lambert from Kent State University. (laughs) Golden Flash. All right, so when he was going through the list of names, I was like, okay, these are easy. Swan, Stallworth, Theo Bell? Theo Bell got me. Theo Bell? Are you kidding me? And then when he caught himself on his own 63 Fats Holmes reference, no, he wasn't on the 79 team. He was there for the first couple, but not 1979. I was impressed. I mean... It's it's crazy. You want to try? You want to try? No. No? I won't get this. it. <laughs> I'll be bad at it. <laughs> Can't give me uh, Gene Smith or Rick Moser or Sidney Thornton? Can't give me any of those? Mike Wagner. Mike, can you give me Mike Wagner? Is he 41? 23. 23. Right. How about Donnie Shell? Oh, Donnie Shell was 31. 31. There you go. How about Matt Barr? Uh, two. Nine. Nine. His brother was two. Chris Barr was two. You know Actually, their dad just passed away, by the way, the legendary yeah, Walt Yeah, we were talking about Walt that. Walt Barr, yeah. He was, the, he was the guy who assisted on the second goal in the miracle on pitch, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Two goals against England, and his dad set one up. Yeah. And he just passed away like two weeks ago, right yep. before the start of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. John Kolb is the one I always screw up. 55. I don't know why I can't get that one in my brain. but Work Paul, on it, Penzi. Paul Rudd. Big-time Kansas City fan, but apparently was indoctrinated to sports with the Steelers of the 70s. That is... Ant-Man knows those Steelers better than you. We should have him do a weekly segment. 
That's like when I met Seth Meyers at the Super Bowl that one time, and I was like, oh, yeah, I know you're a big Steelers fan. We'd love to have you on. You know, we're the flagship. He's like, dude, I would love to do that. I was like, awesome. Never came on. Could not get him at all. And then we talked to Colin Jost. He's like, oh, my God, he would love to do that. I'll I'll, I'll call him because Crawford yeah. worked with Colin Jost. And uh, nah, nothing. <laughs> he does float in for games, doesn't he? Like yeah. literally for about six hours and then just leaves again and goes and tapes up the show. And Yeah, Gardell was really pissed the time that uh, Seth Meyers got to uh, wave the towel before the game because he wasn't doing it hard enough for for his liking. <laughs> Gardell was like, he looked like he was on a boat. He was on a yacht. I thought you were going to say he bumped him. Oh no, they didn't do it. I don't know if they did it together that time. It was, he was too just, passive of his hell. Yeah, well, yourself. you know, Gardell okay. went out and got pneumonia, right. Doing yeah. it and screamed himself, you know, to within an inch of splitting his vocal cords, and they had to put Mike and Molly on hiatus. I remember that. Yes, he went back, and they're like, "What happened to you?" He's like, "Ah, ah I waving a terrible towel." And that was probably Gardell wearing his Steve Corson number. Oh, gee, Steve Corson. Is it 57? 77. 77. Sam Davis is 57. Well, 57 wouldn't have been Corson. Damn it. <laughs> See, this is why I want to do it. Um, yeah, Gardell, imagine the amount of insurance money that had to be utilized there for I them know, to right? shut down production of Mike and Molly because he screamed his head off at a Steeler game. All that because he's yelling, Haley, put in the QB sneak! <laughs> exactly. Rich Robinson, formerly of the Black Crows. Now he has the Magpie Salute. They got a new album, and they're going to be out on tour. We're going to talk to Rich when we come back here on... D- it is the DVE Morning Show. Randy Bauman here with you. And uh, the new Magpie Salute. The tune, Send Me an Omen. Super cool sound. And it unmistakable. Rich Robinson riffing there. Send Me an Omen is the newest from the album High Water One. And joining us right now, guitarist Rich Robinson. Rich, good morning. How are you, man? Pretty good. How are you? Doing all right. So that tune sounds pretty awesome, and I like that I can identify it pretty quickly as, oh, that's a rich tune. Um, because I don't. I hope you continue to to, to forge your musical identity on, on uh, the path that uh, you've already laid before you. Uh, sometimes people like to uh, go a completely different route from when they're in a major band to doing something different. With Magpie Salute, this really feels like an extension of the work that you've done in the past, and I'm glad you're not shying away from it. Well, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it would be disingenuous to try to write a different song just for the purpose of being different. You mm-hmm. know, I've always written the way I write. In The Crows, I wrote the way that I wrote. And, you know, I feel like we covered a huge amount of, you know, musical styles in that band. And so sort of coming out to this, I mean, I still feel like there's a tremendous amount all over the record. I mean, there's, there's so many influences and so much, so much going on, but it still sounds like me and it sounds like Mark Ford. And so that's just, I I believe in things being kind of natural, you know, like that. Right. Well, you use a lot of the, the players and the foundation that helped create and forge that sound early on uh, with uh, with Sven, Mark Ford, as you uh, had mentioned, and uh, Joe and Matt, who you've worked with on your solo efforts in the past. So the fact that the sound is going to be consistent is, you know, kind of a given. But what do you think the biggest difference is between the first Magpie Salute uh, record, which was recorded live in Woodstock, and what you guys are doing with High Water One? Well, the thing about the first record recorded in Woodstock is it was just, it wasn't necessarily meant to be a record. It was really just a show over three days, you know. Um, And 
I was touring on my last solo record, Flux, and I just decided, like, well, you know, Mark and I have this thing, this uh, musical connection that can't be explained. I hadn't spoken to him in a long time, so I just decided to reach out to him, and just because, you know, we're all getting older, why not play with the people you want to play with, you know? So yeah. I reached out to him, and he just said, I don't care what it is, I'm coming, you know? And, and I thought that that was really cool, and... And Ed said, that, and I called Eddie Harsh, who was the keyboard player in the right. pros, and he, and he came down, and you know, and that's all it was. And then we were going to go on our way, but as things sort of happened and progressed, I think everyone realized there was something special there, and so we decided to, you know, try it out. Let's put a show up for sale. So we put a show up for sale in New York. It sold out in twenty minutes. We did three more shows. They sold out in twenty minutes, and it was like, oh, okay, well, there's there's some interest here. Let's go on tour. So we started booking a tour. And then while we were doing that, I was like, Oh wow, I forgot we had recorded that record last summer in Woodstock. Let's put that out, you know? And what I like about it is again, it's like, it's natural. It was organic. It just kind of happened. We were just putting our toe in the water to see what would happen to see if people are interested to, you know, and that's kind of what we did, you know? And so that yeah. record, that you know the first live record was really cool and it, it it literally was a record that captured the birth of this whole thing i'll tell you what i dug about the first record was that you reimagined some of your earlier compositions yeah uh, you Absolutely. have such a such a wealth uh, of material that you've written through the years some of it more well known than others some of the huge hits and uh, for the diehard crows fans they know how prolific you've been is it tempting to constantly go back into your catalog and reimagine something since you have such a huge stash of material? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, with last year, we kind of spent, we took out 10 people and we spent last year celebrating sort of the past, you know, celebrating the music that we had made together, the music we had made separately, you know, doing covers of bands that we had toured with covers of bands that we always wanted to do mm -hmm. and some solo stuff with Mark and I, we were doing towards the end, we did up about 220 songs that we were pulling from. And then we, cause we changed the set every night and it was really just a celebration. And so, but this year, you know, we've stepped into our own skin and, and in a sense, I mean, focused on the core of the band, which is the six of us. And decided just to, okay, well, let's do this for real and let's make these two records, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of what happened. Well, being a, a diehard Crows fan, as I have been for, for so long, you know, it really bummed me out when Chris said things last year. Uh, first about the Grateful Dead family, which just seemed to be inconsistent with what I've always thought he believed. And then what he said about Magpie Salute, basically like, oh, it's a cover band. I wouldn't expect anything else. And then he went out and did As the Crow Flies, which was even more dependent on the Crows catalog than what you were trying to do. Uh, is that something that you kind of like, oh, yeah, well, that's Chris, and that's what he does. Uh, yeah. You, you know, like, of course that's what he was going to do. He was going to say it was uh, a garbage move by me, and then he did the exact same thing, even more dependent. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, he he just runs his mouth he, and has no, he does not shy away from hypocrisy. Uh, and, you know, that's unfortunate. Uh, ultimately, you know, um, the guy who wrote the songs going out and playing his songs with the guys that played on those songs is not a cover band. It's, it's my music. I wrote it. I'm going to tour with it. And 
these guys came along. And like I said, it was a celebration. But last year, he hired a bunch of dudes that never really played on any Black Crows records. I mean, I think Audley played one solo on a record once, and that was it. And and it's just, it's it's unfortunate, you know, to split hairs and all that. It's just, it's a little silly. You know, um, I'm happy doing, for the first time in a long time in a band situation, I'm, a, I'm really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we... The guys in, in from the Crows that are in this band, you know, unfortunately, Eddie Harsh passed away, but, um, you know, the guys that are in this band from the Crows realized how negative that was. And we're pretty vigilant to not let it go down that road, to stay positive and not fall into the trappings that that is, that are easily available while you're in this band, you know, while you're mm. in a band that's touring and those kinds of things. So we're just kind of happy to be doing what we do, you know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times I, I have brothers, and we, you know, we fight a lot. And something that the dynamic between a brother versus a, a creative partner, uh, when those two things are separate, words like that can seem to have more impact. Do you think that it might be something that in the future you could let get past, uh, let you get past, and be able to reunite one day and go out with a full original Crows lineup, or do you think that ship sailed? I think that ship sailed, you know, I mean, I haven't spoken to Chris in four years and, and in a sense, you know, being it, like you said, being in a band, be having a brother can be difficult. Having a brother that's difficult and being in a band with that brother can be, you know, triple difficult. And then, you know, so you're a creative partner, a business partner and a brother. It's just, it's not healthy. It doesn't, it didn't really work for us. And there's a lot of bands in the past that that same thing happened. And it's just, you know, I, I kind of feel like I lost a brother over it, so it's, there's no point. And any time we kind of go near that, you know, thing, it just always winds up being negative. So yeah. this is something that is much cooler and more healthy for all of us. And it's and and also I'm just, you know, with it with John Hogg, you know, coming from London, he's a killer that. killer vocalist, man. Yeah, his mom's from Africa, his dad's from Sweden, and his cultural take on music and what he brought into the band is what really gives it this you know this extra element this new sort of approach and and joe magistro who's a brilliant drummer and so all of these things you know matt slocum i mean i feel like we're at the the peak of our powers and and just and it's very creative and very exciting and very positive. I'm a big fan of what you're doing with Magpie Salute. Uh, I've always thought that you, in particular, are the, like the keeper of the flame of a certain... There's a style of music, a, a very American music uh, uh, approach that you, you've always taken and upheld, and you continue to keep the American songbook alive by covering the, the songs that you do go back and you know keep them in everybody's sights. You know, it's important to keep playing that music. I think the Grateful Dead did a lot of great service by by keeping a lot of songs alive through the years. Uh, will the Magpie Salute going forward, as you continue to bre- branch out and perform more original music, will you continue to dip into that bag of Americana? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're, we're going to focus on this record, but we also, you know, we change the set list every night. We still, you know, have such an affinity for the music that, should still be out there like Mm -hmm. you said that should still be played and still be heard and so you know we're going to kind of continue down that road as well yeah the the magpie salute is a big band and you guys have a big sound what are the what's the biggest challenge of touring with that many people are you still doing a 10 piece 
No, we, we kind of reduced it to a six week. Okay, you're just going to do six now. Okay. Yeah, because last year we were just, you know, it was kind of just having fun. You know, it was like, hey, let's bring some singers. Let's do this and that. But as we sort of toured and headed towards making a record, we I, I felt like we need to be a core band and really mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, focus on this. And so that's who went into the studio, and that's how this came about. And so that's, you know, it's almost like a, we have to step into ourselves, you know. And so that's really what, what the focus is now. When you pick up a guitar to write a song, do you, how often do you change up the tuning on it? Are you looking for something uh, when you pick up a guitar that you automatically go to something that's open tuning, or uh, do you have a preferred method of starting out? You know, sometimes I'll just tune it to something and just mess around and see what happens. Sometimes, you know, I'll just pick it up and it'll be in, in the tuning and I'll just play something and it'll kind of come. And and so it, it kind of varies from song to song. Um, and it's really just picking up a guitar, writing it, seeing kind of seeing what speaks to me, you know. Mm-hmm. I never force my, you know, some people sit there and, you know, write, especially in Nashville, you know, you go, you wake up and you, you go to your writing session and, you know, but that's like a faucet to me. It just seems kind of odd. Like, I feel like every time I'm compelled to pick up the guitar, that speaks to me. And then therefore, I'm always joyous to pick up a guitar and something cool will either will or won't come. And I just kind of let it happen, you know, so it's, um, you don't I, manufacture inspiration as much as you let it occur. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think inspiration, like everything, should be kind of, you know, authentic and natural, and and you know, write for the sake of writing, write for the sake of expression. You know, what do I see in the world? You know, I've traveled all over the world, you know, ten times, fifteen, twenty times over, and what does that mean? And you know, people go through life, you know, life, love, and loss, and everything is is part of a an influence. Have you heard Greta Van Fleet yet? No, someone brought her up to me recently. It's a band. Oh. It's a. It's like do. It's like five guys. Oh, really? It's called Greta Van Fleet. Yeah, they're named after some uh, woman in Michigan. But I mean, they okay. sound exactly like Zeppelin. The kid is oh, really? the vocalist. Yeah. The, oh and, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, I haven't heard them yet, but some, and they're they're really young, right? Really young, and they sound yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. like Led Zeppelin, and they sold out here in like an hour uh, for an upcoming show in Pittsburgh at Stage AE, and I was just wondering, what is it about that Led Zeppelin mystique? You've played with Jimmy Page, and you toured with Page and Plant, and you've certainly been in that circle. What is it about Zeppelin that so captivates rock and roll fans? You know, it cre- it created a feeling, you know, and that's that's really what it is. I mean, uh, that you know, Jimmy uh, back then, I feel like. When people created music, they created music for the sake of, you know, creating music. I mean, you know, sh- I'm sure some, they wanted to be a big band, but ultimately there was there wasn't like some sort of corporate, you know, infrastructure in place to to basically pour the whole thing out. You know, right. like, these guys were up there writing their songs, and the the infrastructure that was in place was there just to support them. They didn't interfere with the writing, and I think that in the last thirty years. 40 years since then, you know, uh, I think it, the sort of corporate agenda has taken over and forced people, you know, you have a choice. You can sort of take your art and then just kind of, you know, 
tweak it and, you know, let us tell you how to sell it, or you can be an, a true artist. And I think that Jimmy was always a true artist. I mean, you know, when he wrote Cashmere, I don't think he was thinking about it. Like, this is going to be a hit. Right. You know what I mean, I mean that's, a, that's a heavy song. And so I think it touches on a feeling. I think it's, it's everything that he did was authentic. Yeah. And it was, a, and there was so much interest in there. You know, it was, it, it just like you listen to that stuff. You listen to the song like Cashmere, or Ten Years Gone, or you know, Wanton Song, or whatever it is, and it's so it it takes you to a place immediately and viscerally attaches you to it in a in a, in a sort of connectivity way. And then, you know, I, I was saying this the other day. For some reason, people, the industry producers i don't know what it was but you know they just started telling musicians just dumb it down people are stupid they don't like music just you know dumb it down dumb it down no solos yeah no solos and and you know what look at where music is you know Mm -hmm. Uh, you know people are struggling and so ultimately it's like well you know it's like everyone says you know social media everyone's got to get on social media well then why is the music industry in the tank social media (laughs) is so cool you know, would would let it be be the same if Paul McCartney stopped in the middle of playing it and to take a selfie? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, would would it have that mystery or that weight? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, great session today. You can't yeah. wait for you guys to hear the new hashtag. Let it be. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Hashtag Ringo is my favorite. Right. Or whatever, you know? like, so. You know, again, it's like it's almost like you pull that curtain and you let people see what it really is, and then it becomes this shameless self-promotion. And those bands from the '60s that continue in '70s that continue to sell records because they were just created in this in this sort of pure, a more pure fashion. I think that's why it continues to connect people. And I, and I think on a subconscious level, most people kind of know that you're kind of full of shit. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, right. That's kind of what happens. Right. Well, the Magpie Salute uh, new album, High Water 1, I guess that means there's going to be a 2? Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, it aspires uh, to do just that, captivate you. And uh, this is going to be a great experience live. But the record, I can't wait to hear the full thing. I've only heard the tune send me an, an omen. So I'm looking forward to hearing the whole album. Excellent. You'll hear it. Good deal. Rich Robinson, hey, man, thanks so much for your time this morning. Best of luck, and I can't wait to see you performing this stuff live. Oh, thanks so much. We'll see you soon. All right, brother. Take care. That's Rich Robinson, the Magpie Salute, brand new album, High Water One. Great interview. Check it out. He's the best. Rich is awesome. He's been on several times. Yeah, he's always good. Super cool. Uh, How about, speaking of cool, Rita Coolidge. Don't get much cooler than that. No. Coming up and, right uh, after the commercial break, basically, because we went so long with Rich. She's got a new album, Safe in the Arms of Time. So we're going from uh, rock and roll uh, royalty to rock and roll royalty here, man. Yeah. You got Hall Pretty of Famer to Hall of Famer. I mean, the Black Crows are going to go in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame one day, right? I would think. That's going to happen. Do you think that they'll be like dire straits and just not show up and not be inducted? No, I think and- Chris will say it's crap and he doesn't want to go. And then at the last second, he'll be the only one. He'll go by himself and... Then perform all the songs with a bunch of whoever he's hanging out with at the time. I hate even bringing that stuff up about Chris to Rich, but like, he's such a jerk. Yeah. Chris is such a jerk, and I love his vocals. And there's times. Rich is the good brother. Yeah, but I think. Chris is the bad brother. I, I genuinely think he just says stuff and doesn't think about what's coming out of his mouth. So. I don't even know if he believes half the stuff he said. Like when he was crapping on the Grateful Dead family. 
uh, in that Howard Stern interview a couple years ago. Like, I know he has said the exact opposite, and I don't even think he feels that way. <laughs> and then he just totally trashed what Rich was trying to do, and then went out and did something even less yeah. authentic. So, uh, really looking forward to Rich's new album. Uh, as I said, I heard the first tune here, Send Me an Omen. Here's a little bit of that as we go to the commercial break. John Hogg, the vocalist. Boy, this guy can really sing. Rita Coolidge, 915. We got Mark Madden coming up at 945. <laughs> Only about 11% of companies don't block any websites on employees' computers. 85% will block porn sites. Yeah, but if somebody's going in the workplace, uh, don't you want to know who the people in your office are that would look up porn while they're at work? Those deviants. Don't you want them to reveal themselves? Wear the scarlet letter. Because there are guys in offices around town who share porn. Like, oh, I'm sure. Right. Even today. I mean, when it's so, you know, people are like, you can't do that kind of stuff. No, and I would want to know who those people are. <laughs> like, oh, well, thanks, Brent. That was very nice of you to show me this uh, midget porn. But uh, <laughs> got to tell you, inappropriate. We're, we're going to have to take you off a couple of counts. <laughs> Randy Bellman and the DVE Morning Show. Yeah, I, I mean, it gives everything significance in that guy's life. Then everything he has around his desk, you look at differently if he's the mm-hmm. guy that has porn, you know. Mm-hmm. He's probably the same guy that has like one of those like those vice grip things, like you know. <laughs> yeah. He's like always like squeezing it, and yep. stress balls and uh-huh. stuff like that. You're like, All yeah. over his desk. All right, dude. Uh, we have uh, legend Rita Coolidge coming on the show momentarily. I think Joe's actually getting her on right now. If I'm not Big mistaken. Morning. Yeah, man. That was this is a cool morning for me to come back. Yeah. Because uh, I always love talking with Rich Robinson. And to get to go from talking to Rich Robinson to the legend Rita Coolidge is quite an honor. And she joins us here now on the DVE Morning Show, none other than Rita Coolidge. Good morning, Rita. How are you? I'm great, Randy. Thanks for having me on the show this morning. Boy, I am such a big fan uh, of your work. And I was so psyched when I heard I got to talk to you this morning. Uh, I immediately started listening to a bunch of Rita Coolidge stuff. And I didn't realize you had done as many solo albums as you have through the year. Eighteen. That's the yeah, that's just eighteen solo albums, and then I've done <laughs> all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we go into the other stuff, I want to ask you about this this album, "Safe in the Arms of Time." What's the significance of that title? Well, it's a line from one of the one of the songs that I wrote with Keb Mo, and um, it was a, actually a, we wrote the song about uh, a kind of a true story about my life when I reunited with my college sweetheart about two and a half years ago and uh it comes from the song naked all night and it just kind of tells the story of of me and joe in college and then are coming back together again but safe in the arms safe in the arms of time to me just you know i was thinking about that this morning and and i think it just means um a life you know full life and I'm still here and just having the best time of my life. Yeah. See, I was wondering if the significance was something more uh, toward your work in the past will always stand the test of time. It is there. It's frozen forever. You've done so much iconic uh, work and your performances will be heard for, you know, 100 years. Uh, You were a part of a time post uh, Beatles breaking up that I think 
was really the jumping off point for rock and roll with uh, Mad Dogs and Englishmen. Of course, you were on that legendary tour. Uh, and all of those 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 shared players throughout the scene, whether it was Harrison's solo album, Delaney and Bonnie, or Derek and the Dominoes, it, it seemed to bring this family of musicians together that really sort of redirected rock and roll. And you were such a huge part of that. I can't imagine what it was like for you to be on a plane full of misfits on the Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour. <laughs> do you look back on that fondly, or do you think like, oh, good, I got through that one? I'd look back and I'd go, thank God I got through that yeah. one. <laughs> You know, the best times, I think, uh, on that tour were were the times on the plane when I, you know, I would sit with Joe uh, as we would fly to the next gig. And a lot of times I was just so down and felt like, you know, going home. I just graduated from college and and I had no idea what was going on uh, until we got on the road with that tour. And I would just say, Joe, I can't do it anymore. And he'd say, you can't leave me, love. You're the only friend I've got. And I'd go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there was like 40 people on the plane. There were babies and dogs. It was, you know, it was unlike anything ever that had been launched before. I can't imagine how financially that could have occurred. Well, I don't know either. I know that there were actually 55 of us. <laughs> um, and I think the plane held 40. So that, <laughs> there you have it. Um, and, you know, financially, I think Joe came out of that. Every penny went into the production of the show and the film. And when we got back to L.A., Joe didn't have the, didn't have enough money to buy a guitar. He was sleeping on the floor at Danny Cordell's house. So he really worked his worked his butt off, sang his butt off. And and you know the reward was doing the first rockumentary and and having it be timeless and last forever. Well, that movie is, I, I mean, I just love watching it. Some of those performances and uh, your performances, Superstar in particular, just, you know, spellbinding. And you guys really seem to inspire each other through all of those conditions. Well, you know, I think always when whatever the life situation is around touring and around being on the road, you know, when when the music starts, that, that we realize while we're there. And that's when the magic happens. And and all the creativity and and just you know literally feeling elevated into another universe. Yeah, well, Delta Lady, of course, was written about you. You are the Memphis uh, voice, and boy, you were pretty young when you first uh, hooked up with Delaney and Bonnie. How old were you? I was twenty-one. Man, I was just out of college, and uh, I had moved to Memphis because my parents had moved there while I was at Florida State. And uh, when I got to Memphis, I met a lot of people in the studios there and and used to go over to Stax. And one guy I met was this guy, Don Nix, who was well-connected with the L.A. players and knew Leon and, and Delaney and Bonnie and Carl Radel and all those people very well. So when they came to town to finish their last commitment to Stax Records, this guy Don Nick said, you got to meet these people. And he took me over to Stax, and when I walked into, into the room and looked at Bonnie Bramlin, she looked back at me. It was like eternity was there. <laughs> uh, we had no, I felt like I'd known her forever, and I, and I still am quite positive that, yeah, Bonnie and I are just still so very close. And you are credited with writing the Coda piano theme to, to Layla the, and your uh, then partner, boyfriend, Jim Gordon, 
uh, took credit for. That's that's exactly right. He did, and you know, I, I, when it happened, and when when the record came out with my music uh, being played at the Piano Coda, um, you know, I called uh, Robert Stigwood, who was Eric's manager, and and said, "There's been a mistake. This is Rita Coolidge. There's been a mistake on the record. My name is not there, and I'm the writer of that music." He said, "Yeah, what are you going to do about it?" Oh. He said, you're a girl. What oh, are you wow. going to do about it? And, uh, you know, they're literally, they, the Stickwood organization was so huge. There was nothing. I, I didn't have the money to fight that. So, And that um, was a song that your sister Priscilla and, and ended up recording that with Booker T, right? They did record it, yes. So there's actual proof of you having written that melody before. Absolutely, Yes. That is just such a crazy rock and roll story. You know, you saying Stigwood telling you you're a woman, what are you going to do? That that makes me think, boy, in this age of awareness of sexual harassment that you must have experienced uh, an innumerable amount of hashtag Me Too moments. I think that was the worst one. There were some. Um, I think that because, of my, you know, of the way I grew up and the way our parents instilled such strong moral fiber in their children, I didn't put up with much, and and people knew that about me. So, And I was a good boss. People loved to work for me, and uh, so I didn't get that very much. But if I did, I immediately put people right in their place. Uh, Sticky is the only one that I know of, and he was across the ocean with a Brazilian dollar, so that, I couldn't really do anything with them. But there was a story that Michael Walker told in one of his books about a, a group of managers in, in England hanging Robert Stigwood out of a skyscraper by his ankles out of a window one time because they were just trying, they were trying to get him to admit that he was a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> I would have fessed up pretty quick. Right? <laughs> Uh, Rita, your new album, you you uh, you play on some of the old relationships that, uh, from those days and have some special guests here uh, on the new recording, Safe in the Arms of Time. Graham Nash, I, I just can't imagine how the two of you sound singing together. That must just be a wonderful blend. Well, we actually did not sing together. Graham, oh, okay. <laughs> Graham, uh, Graham wrote one of the songs. Oh, I thought it says here, I thought it was co- contributions by, I thought that meant you guys sang together. No, we didn't. On, we didn't on this one. It could still happen. I, you know, I see Graham when I'm in New York or if he's in Tallahassee, um, but he's wonderful. I just saw him about a month ago. We went to the theater with him and his lady and had dinner and he's just wonderful. But, um, but but I did have some great people. Keb Mo sang with me on a song that we wrote. I wouldn't have put you two together. Uh, that, that's that's an unusual collaboration. I mean, what, what was it about Keb Mo's work as a, a prolific blues artist that you felt would lend to your catalog? Well, I've been a fan of Keb Mo's since the, his first recordings. I think we were both at A&M in the 70s. He was arranging and working for Almo Music, which was their publishing company. So we had crossed paths there, although I don't remember it. He, he does. <laughs> but I've, I've just always loved his music because he does blues, but he also does, he writes some of the most positive, uplifting songs. And a Kebmo concert, is just, it's, 
it's almost like going to church. Everybody mm-hmm. in the audience know all the lyric, all the lyrics to his songs, and 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 he doesn't write about anything negative. Everything is just positive, and I just like being around people like that. And he's he's just pretty much the coolest guy I know. And he's featured on the new album, which uh, people can get now at iTunes, Amazon.com. What do you think about the new platforms for music, i.e. digital streaming? Well, you know, it's... Because <laughs> I, I listened I, to you on record a whole lot growing up. Exactly. And this is on. this record is on vinyl as well. You know, everything has changed. And, of course, that's changed, too. And... You know, the object of making this record was to have an album of songs the way that we did in the 70s and 80s that, that you know, had a thread of of something that, you know, carries from song to song. But it, fortunately, and um, thanks to Ross Hogarth, my producer, every song stands on its own. So you don't have to listen to the entirety of the record. But... If you do, I think that you will gain a lot. Rita Coolidge, who do you like uh, right now? What contemporary singer or artist besides Kebmo are you excited about? Anybody? Well, there's an artist out of Canada who, a young guy, his name is Joey Landreth, who I think is one of the greatest singers and has absolutely reinvented slide guitar. He's just marvelous, great songwriter. And... um, I, I'm, I'm Johnny lucky. Landreth, did you say? No, Joey. Joey. Joey, yeah. Is he related to Sonny Landreth? Not at all. No, he's he sings with his brothers, and he also has a solo career, and he's he's just wonderful. Hmm. Awesome. We'll have to check it out. I'm looking forward to checking out this new album, too, Safe in the Arms of Time, and I'm so uh, honored to speak with you, and I wish you the best of luck. Two-time Grammy Award winner, rock and roll legend, Rita Coolidge. Thank you so much, and best of luck to you going forward, Rita. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll see you. All right, when we come back, Tim Benz filling in for Mike Pursuit, a quick sports update for you, and we got Double M, Mark Madden, closing out the show. DVE Sports. All right, Pursuit is out. Tim Benz filling in with a sports update for you right now on the DVE Morning Show. And that was against the Capitals, an elimination game. A couple of elimination game goals in Game 6 against the Tampa Bay Lightning two years ago, one in Game 7 as well. That's how Brian Rust built his reputation as a big-time, big-game goal scorer, and that's helped parlay him into a four-year, $14 million contract with the Penguins. He avoids getting to unrestricted free agency after getting a... A restricted franchise offer, a qualifying offer from the Pens, then it worked out a long-term deal. So $3.5 million against the cap, right between the likes of Connor Sheary and Carl Haglin. Now it's just a matter of who else do they keep along with them up against the salary cap? And can they make room to improve, like for instance, guys like Jack Johnson, who Jason Mackey, the PG, says very much is in play as far as negotiations go, kind of preemptively feeling out process here mm-hmm. before official Unrestricted free agency hits on July 1. Not much left in the tank for Jack Johnson, though? I don't think so. Uh, if you can get him for significantly cheaper than what he was playing for last year, at least cheap, right around where Hunwick is. Like, if they swap out Hunwick somehow for Jack Johnson, I have right. more faith that they can tap the well and get something more out of Johnson than what they're ever going to get out of Hunwick. Yeah. That's how I view it. Mm-hmm. And Alexiak, we'll see what he gets, too, since 
He got a qualifying offer as well. Penn's development camp starts today in Cranberry. Other news, the Hall of Fame opened its doors. No such luck yet for Sergei Gonchar, Sergei Zubov, or even Jim Rutherford. That should come for sure soon. Gary Bettman, the sitting commissioner, gets in. Willie O'Ree, the first African-American player in the NHL, he gets in. Martin St. Louis and Martin Brodeur as well. Brodeur talking about his father's influence. Well, you know, obviously my father, uh, he, he's the one that, uh, that that was the main reason why I became a goalie. Um, you know, he supported me in, in his whole uh, his whole life to, for me to have a chance to to play uh, to play in the NHL and, and to play hockey. And so, definitely, you, I owe everything. And uh, I wish he could have been here for uh, you know to see this moment, uh, but it wasn't meant to be. But I, I definitely, I'm sure he's up there and uh, being really excited about this uh, this day today. Happy for Martin Brodeur, but do you ever watch that Enterprise rental car commercial? that he's in and just feel awkward watching it. People, I just, know, the, people know the Uncle Dad story, The right? Uncle Dad thing is I just can't get past. Neither can I. So, uh, yeah. I, and I see him in this... For room. those who don't know, explain. He ended up having an affair with his sister-in-law. His, his wife's wife, sister. His wife's sister, right. Yeah, sorry, yes, his wife's sister. And he, dump, he married her, right? Right. He dumped his wife and married her sister. Right. That Which, makes Christmas awkward. And he I got mean, if she was the younger Uncle model Dad from Shane, uh, Sean Avery during a trash talking session when he's waving the stick in front of his face, that's what he called him, Uncle Dad. And it's one of the great nickname glosses of all time. And oh. I just got, and I see that commercial, and the first thing he says out of his mouth is, "Well, this is my midlife crisis machine." No, I think that was something else. <laughs> I think that yeah. happened a long time ago. Yeah, uh, well, I think we all remember it. Wait, where has Sean Avery gone? I don't know. Didn't he get in, seriously? He got in the modeling world for a while, like yeah. designing clothes and things yeah. like that. I don't know what's happened to him since, but I can I can look that up. I'm sure Madden's up to speed on that. We'll talk to him about that when he comes in a little bit. <laughs> uh, what else did I want to get to? Oh, baseball last night. Pirates they lost to the New York Mets. Final score four to three in ten innings. Six out of seven. Yes, uh, they switched around the lineup quite a bit on Monday. It worked, and then it didn't work. The lineup was great in Game One against New York. And then last night, it was 2-for-18 collectively uh, in the top four. Josh Harrison had a dust-up at second base. Uh, he slid into Asdrubal Cabrera hard. Uh, the pitcher, Drius Familia, took great exception with what Jay Hay did, but Cabrera didn't seem to care, and Jay Hay said it was a clean play. Sorry, it, my main concern was Cabrera. Me and him had already, as a middle infielder to another middle infielder, I didn't touch him. Yeah, I went in hard, I slid, but it was a clean play. And at the end of the day, I mean, we, I play at the middle. I'm not going to do anything malicious to hurt somebody when I got to go out there and turn double plays. Yeah, and the bench is emptied, but it was quickly calmed, and it was not like a Rizzo situation or anything to that effect. Chad Cool has a strained forearm, it appears, so that's a red flag, and he was struggling all night with three wild pitches yesterday, and even Elias Diaz, the catcher, said he saw him do something funny with his arm after one throw, so that's alarming. Former Steeler practice squatter, West A product, Pitt star Doran Dickerson leaving Pittsburgh uh, today for a four-day tryout at the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. His wrestling name is going to be Rico Dash. I don't like that. That just does not resonate with me. No. Rico Dash. And then finally this. This is a sad note. Uh, The founder of Franco's Italian Army, Big Al Vento, passed away. Uh, he was a big part of one of the greatest sports eras in Pittsburgh when it comes to fandom, the Franco's Italian Army. 
and uh, he was 89 years old. We used that clip in our Wild Wild Steeler Country uh, parody. We did a, a spoof on the uh, Wild Wild Country documentary. Oh, right, yes. I heard you do that, yeah. Joe's got it. Of course he does. Here it is. We contacted the guard down the stadium, you know, that, that knew the ball players. We asked him, he said, would Franco mind if we would be Franco's Italian army? So he asked Franco, and he says he wouldn't mind it at all. And then from then on, the rest is just history. Oh, that dude? Yeah, he passed away yesterday, oh. 89 years old. So. Legend. Uh, that's sports. Got to play more coming up with Mark Madden here in just a moment. Speaking of legends, Stan Savard's on the show tomorrow. <laughs> Mark Madden joins us when we Maybe return. Get a- it is the DVE Morning Show, and joining us right now is venerable sportscaster, sports journalist, and man about town. Bon vivant. Bon vivant. <laughs> Mark Madden. Tonight, Mark, first of all, good to see you again. Good to be seen. Um, you're going with the Gatorade G2, the less sugar. Yes. Gatorade's one of the few drinks that actually makes me feel better. Electrolytes, yes. I'm told. Yes, electrolytes. And sugar. Us older people uh, have trouble maintaining the proper level of electrolytes. No, uh, you're not that old. That The thing about that is it has aspartame in it, though. So there's artificial sweeteners in there. So there's carcinogenic quality to it. You're almost better off having the sugar. I feel terrific. <laughs> Well, you look great, so there's no arguing with that. Thank you. Tonight, White Snake, Foreigner, and the Bonham Led Zeppelin evening. evening. Uh, yeah, uh, Jimmy Page apparently wants to use Led Zeppelin experience. From what I understand, you know that Rolling Stones exhibition they've they've had touring the country. Yeah, like New York and Vegas. Anyway, I, I think Jimmy Page wants to do something like that with Zeppelin and call it the Led Zeppelin experience. So he convinced Jason Bonham to call it Led Zeppelin Evening now. And uh, Jimmy owns the term experience. Uh, I asked about this earlier. I was telling Val I had heard Jace, or John Bonham rather was just like a big meathead bully. Yes. Like nobody liked yes, him. Any account of, of Led Zeppelin would, would confirm that, yeah. Yeah. There's there's a uh, oral history of Led Zeppelin where Jason Bonham runs into, I think, Bonham's old roadie, John Bonham's old roadie. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, tell me cool stories about my dad. And the the roadie goes, you don't want to know. And uh, Jason Bonham persists, and the roadie goes, your dad was a jerk and a bully. I told you, you didn't want to know. See, that's so interesting. But we had a lot of Zeppelin talk today. Great drummer, though. I mean, non-parallel in my opinion. I, mean, I don't like know. Like An eight-year-old Japanese chick can do the same thing. Just go on Facebook. <laughs> he wasn't that good. The eight-year-old Japanese chick couldn't come up with the with the beat, though. I know. I'm t- clearly, I'm joking. You, you know I mean, Bonham about- is like, you know, he is the gold standard. Well, you know what's great about this, uh, uh, the Bonham uh, Zeppelin man? They have a great singer for one thing, but they have this Japanese guy currently in the band, Jimmy Sakurai, Mr. Jimmy. That's who, racist. Uh, who dresses like Paige, plays like Paige. He's a brilliant player. And even though he's Japanese, looks just like Jimmy Page. Yeah, Jimmy Page always looked Japanese. Does this guy also date 14-year-old girls, or does he date girls of age? That's none of your business. <laughs> I, I don't know. How how much does he commit to the bit? Is he suing Robbie Williams? I mean, he should... <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, 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 it's great. I mean, they're, they're a great Zeppelin tribute band. You know, I had to laugh when Jason Bonham criticized Greta Van Fleet saying, well, that comparison to Zeppelin will kill him. And I'm thinking, dude, you pretend to be your dad playing the Led Zeppelin <laughs> tribute band. <laughs> you, 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 know, I mean, you know, I mean, he might be right about Greta Van Fleet, but he shouldn't cast stones. See, I like, I, I share this uh, sentiment with you with certain acts where I I can enjoy them 
while being critical at the same time. Oh, I'm not and critical you at are, all, though. Of, of, I mean, the Jason Bottom thing, but he, but it's great. But he just it is what it is. It's exactly what it is. Right. And I, you I know, mean, bro, you got you, you got your dad's logo on the drums, and that's not your logo. That's your dad's, and you got the Japanese guy pretending to be Jimmy Page. <laughs> Does he play like the same guitars on same tunes and stuff? Yes. He doesn't have a double where's neck. Like, where's like the poppy costume, you know, the, yes. down his pant leg? And he's great. He's absolutely he has the terrific. dragon going down his leg? Yeah, yeah. He has the uh, oh, he has his own thing in Japan that plays L.A. sometimes called, uh, it's just the Led Zeppelin Revival, he calls it. And Frankie Benali's his drummer. Oh, really? From, From Quiet, Quiet Riot. Riot. Yeah. And it's really good, too. Uh, there's no shortage of really good Zeppelin tributes out there. Frankie Benali's another interesting rock and roll figure. He's the, he's the like, uh, uh, prototypical Jersey, New York hustler kind of guy. It strikes me as, anyways. Like, he's a promoter himself. Well, he's. He, did you see the Quiet Riot documentary? Loved it. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of what you're talking about came through with Frankie there. Yeah. You know, um, and I have no problem with him keeping Quiet Riot going or Mick Jones keeping Foreigner going, you know, all with like one original yeah, but he, member Mick or whatever. Mick Jones has to show up for the gigs. You he, can't just everyone. put all subs in. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> if you're playing in Greensburg or... or, 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 uh, or, or, uh, or What's the casino, the West Virginia casino? Mountaineer. Uh, the Mountaineer, if you're playing... Those, those are exhibition venues. You can send whoever you like to those. When it's a big league venue, uh, Mick shows up. And... Foreigner without Mick is still very, very good. Gosh, it's just it's a cover band though. Yeah, it really is with Mick too. Doesn't it need to have a piece of the original puzzle? Doesn't it need to have that for you to enjoy it as the same experience? No, to enjoy it, no. I enjoy it very much, even without Mick. I prefer Mick to be there. You have gone and seen every band you like is basically. They don't have the original members left. Well, like White Snake, White Snake has always been Coverdale and whoever showed up, though. Right, and it still is. I mean, that this is as much White Snake as any White Snake. And Red Beach, our friend from from Oakmont and Fox Chapel, has literally been in White Snake longer than any member ever, except for David Coverdale. David Coverdale loves Reb. Yeah. Oh yeah. Rebellious. Uh. He calls him rebellious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, what an honor to be on the stage with you, young man. Uh, I, I used to think my David imitation was good, but Rebs is so good, and Michael Devon, the bass player, is even better. I, I, I'm embarrassed to do it now. I'm sure he slept in today. I would have loved to get Reb on the show. Do you but, have him on your show today? Yes, we do. Oh, okay. Just think just think, English nobleman dipped in rock star, and that's David Coverdale. <laughs> so what time does this show start tonight? Uh, 7 o'clock. Bottom's on at 7 o'clock. Holy cow, 7. That's yes. an early start. That's good, right? Yeah, but they could have... They get a pretty good crowd, and everybody's on their feet, and like you know, everybody knows well, every word. And right, right. You know, I mean, it's a fun opener. You can't beat the songbook, right? And, and, and like uh, you know, I, I, I want to ask Reb. I mean, even though it's a cover band, a tribute band, you still got to follow "Stairway to Heaven." No, like, <laughs> that's <laughs> the last song bottom place, "Stairway to Heaven." Not directly though, right? Is is Foreigner the headliner? Yeah, Foreigner's the headliner. Shut White Snake in the middle. How can Foreigner really? with a bunch of subs justify? Trump and White Snake. Well, I agree, but Foreigner was the biggest band in in the country for like what three or four years. Maybe they have a massive amount of hits. Yeah, it, but you know, White Snake had 1987, which was as big as anything Foreigner ever did. They had two big albums, didn't they? White Snake. No, no. Well, I mean, Slide It In, the bookend albums did okay. Slide It In and Slip of the Tongue, but 1987, the self-titled was was 
was the huge, huge one just exploded slip of the tongue doesn't sound dirty unless you use it in context with the with slide it in first <laughs> if it was just slip of the tongue you wouldn't think anything dirty the, the but book slide en- it in <laughs> slip of the tongue the book hey the bookend songs on uh, the the slide it in album are uh, slide it in and spit it out <laughs> <laughs> All I know is, if I went to see Foreigner and they didn't play I Want to Know What Love Is, I'd be very mad. Yeah, but that ruined, that ruined, I mean, a lot of the guys in Foreigner think that ruined uh, their street cred as rock, as a rock band. It's, it sounds like uh, um, Learning to Fly. It's like that uh, Pink Floyd tune. You don't think so? Mm, no. You know, no. You guys don't get that from this? Oh, the no. drama a little bit. I what hear if, what you're saying. Oh, what if they uh, What if they let Lou Graham do his solo stuff? Midnight Blue. Oh. Well, you, you know, they're, they're, Foreigner's doing a show at the Sturgis, Sturgis Bike Rally with all the original members. Well, Ed Gagliardi's dead, so he won't be there. But everybody else. And you know what? That, it, knowing Mick Jones wanting to yank every last dollar out of the Foreigner situation, I bet if that goes well at Sturgis, he'll do a short tour. With the old guys, Lou Graham, because of you know his medical problems, like mm-hmm. he had the brain tumor, I don't think he can do a tour yeah. per se. But I think he, he can he do a shows f- shows here and there. Yeah, I think he did a few last. Yeah, because he was doing that one commercial for whatever show he was doing, and it was like he obviously didn't show up at the recording studio to record the commercial. He it was on a phone. He's like, hey, this is Lou Graham, and it's like on a telephone. It's very weird. I re- when I was the Post Gazette, did, re- did you ever hear my interviewing Mick Jones story? No, please tell me. Um, I'm at the Post Gazette. Mick Jones was still with Foreigner, but Lou Graham had quit. It was like uh, he had quit, came back eventually, but at that point, Jonathan Edwards was the singer for the Foreigner. The sunshine uh, go away. That's no, no, a different Jonathan Edwards. Don't feel much. Uh, they, they had one like actually they. decent hit, Low Down and Dirty, but, okay. but they were struggling to sell tickets and albums. So Mick Jones did a series of interviews, and I figured, well, since he's kind of, you know, Don, I can screw with him a little bit. I'm just, a, you know, a, a kid writing rock for the Post Gazette as well as sports. So my first question was, Mick, I always wanted to ask you, do you ever think about getting Mick Jones from The Clash and forming the Mick Jones band? <laughs> okay, so I figured he'd like snap, right? About a 15, 20 second silence. He goes, no, young man. Honestly, that thought had not occurred to me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. He switched the heat. Now I'm the bad guy. Yes. And, 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 and like, so I did this incredibly ass-kissing interview, and the story oh, was yeah. like along the lines, hey, I don't care who the singer is. Mick Jones is great. Yeah. Come on out and see Foreigner. He's the only guy who turned it around on me. By the way, that 15 seconds of silence was him with his hand over the receiver screaming at his publicist. <laughs> who the F did you make me talk at? You know. That's all right. It still worked. It did. It still worked. Uh, By t- the way, I still think that's a viable alternative. Mick Jones, Mick Jones? Mick Jones band. Yeah, why not? With Jonathan Edwards singing. Train in vain, and then... You know who Jonathan Edwards did a great demo tape with that I that I still have? Danny Stagg. Oh, wow. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, well, Danny Stagg's Royal going Jelly. Back. He's going... Yeah, well... Wait, I know Royal Jelly. Yeah. I know that name. Wait, was Three Little Pigs their song? Was that the name of the I song? I forget. I forget. It was good, though. It was a good tape. And uh, Danny Stagg, of course, coming back with Kingdom Come this fall to Jurgles. Yes, on, they're doing a whole world tour, aren't they? Well, they're coming to Jurgles. That's in the world. <laughs> Says you. Mark Madden. The entire lineup except for the singer. Who is the big jerk Well, he, in Kingdom Come. I, I, I want to know how Kotak, the drummer who was in Scorpions, yeah. somehow he finagled and got the rights to the name. Because Lenny Wolf owned the name throughout eternity, the singer, and now somehow he Kotak bought it. From, got it. Yeah, it's pretty him. slick. Yeah, you know. 
Well, once it becomes worthless, well, I no, mean, no, 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 like, no, no. Well, I heard, I heard the copyright expired. He just renewed it. You know, oh, he just kind of did that. That's yeah, kind of actually yeah. cool. Not that it's worthless, but you know what I mean. Like, if you're not going to tour with it, it's worthless to you. But they did two pretty good albums, and Danny's I, a great guitar player. I, look, man, Danny Stag played in front of like crowds of. Ninety and a hundred thousand yeah. people in South America. Monsters of Rock. They were they were uh, the opening act on that Van Halen Metallica Monsters of Rock tour. Yeah, at Three Rivers. That's right. This is such an underrated song, by the way. Wearing and tearing. Yeah, yeah I'm playing wearing and tearing underneath right now. Wearing and tearing by who? Oh, Zeppelin stumped you on a Zepp? Yeah, Coda. Oh no, no, I, I I thought there might be another song. Yeah, that was their punk their punk tribute. Wearing and tearing. Is that what really what it was? That's what it was. It tried to be. Uh, there's so many Zeppelin songs that I felt like I can't, I. Don't understand why they weren't huge hits. This was one of them. Uh, Out on the Tiles is the one that forever. Oh man, Out on the Tiles is the best riff, and like that's the one of those Zeppelin songs. Nobody else can sing it. You know, one of the most underrated Zeppelin albums ever was Presence. I totally agree. Well, that's Out on the Tiles. It was it was an angry album. They recorded it in like seven days, right? Yeah, something like that. Good album cover too. Oh, the 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 obelisk. The obelisk, yeah. yeah. No, and yeah, that like Jimmy Page like stayed up all night to do all the overdubs on Achilles Last Stand. They had to get out of the studio. I just put out of the tiles on. It's just the baddest too. That's the fucking white river. The drum. That's let me see that eight year old girl do that. <laughs> In six more years, Jimmy can date her. (laughs) (laughs) You stay classy, Pittsburgh. Don't touch your face. I got him done, Pittsburgh, all day, baby. For now, you guys call me Ronald. Would you not eat my pants? Ronald. Ah! Mm -hmm.